now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 6, Episode 10, titled The Winds of Winter. They're blowing. Blowing cold. Blowing hot. Cold, cold and hard. Uh, the, the, winds are, the winds are not stopping at the wall. I have a bad feeling. Uh, what did you think of this episode after multiple viewings? I, I just thought it, it kept getting... It, 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 it held up. It kept getting greater. Like, yeah. honestly... Uh yeah, I mean it's, it's I I think it might be the best episode of Game of Thrones ever. Certainly top three. It's pretty good. It's pretty good, especially since again, like <laughs> uh, they managed to kind of fit within our expectations, and yet there was a couple shockers, like Cersei sitting in the Iron Throne. Didn't yeah. really see that coming. Uh, Tommen going out the window. Tommen, you know, there's a lot of speculation of him dying and whatnot, but not like that. And the way, just just the the visual artistry and the sonic artistry uh, on display was amazing in this episode. Yeah, um, I I actually was listening to this show, uh-huh. uh, you know, first time and subsequent viewings, and noticed that the soundtrack felt a lot different than it usually does uh it felt a little bit lighter maybe a little bit more uh like like something was coming well so i meant to mention this on this the instant cast and i i don't have notes in front of me so i've forgotten there's several people that had the same connection but a lot of the baptism scene from the godfather was in because it's kind of like Cersei settling right. all family business, yeah, and and one big hit. And I think that there is a lot of that Coppola stuff there, in that's kind of intentionally, um, and then it's in a really it's, effective, the like the sparse, sparse piano that then goes operatic with the organ some strings. And, yeah, you know. it, it's that kind of uh, it's an effective way to build tension. And then if you've seen The Godfather, it's kind of like works on a subconscious level as well. Yeah, some it's almost other like people, an inverse of The Godfather. Some either, other people were comparing it to like a, a more funereal version of like the Leftovers music, which okay. is saying something. Yeah. Because <laughs> it gets pretty damn funereal itself uh, at times. Yeah. But yeah, like it, it really struck right. me it, it as didn't... different than I, I felt episodes. like. I feel like this Miguel Sapochnik guy has kind of taken everything to another level, and that there's just some some visual storytelling, and and I, I know that he doesn't get to make all the choices as far as editing and like, certainly the soundtrack and on, on all that, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just really coming together. These last two episodes have been absolutely incredible. Even if yeah. you, there are a couple pa- uh, parts that you might quibble about as far as the plotting and some character motivations, like just the strength of the storytelling, and just kind of, I guess I wanted to see most of this stuff too. Yeah, I did. So like, 
even if I was inclined to fault, find fault and nitpick, like, eh, <laughs> uh, this is these, you know, they're 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 fighting on the side of angels, so I'll let it slide. Right, and you know, there will always be stuff to nitpick. Yep. Uh, at the end of the day, it's a massive show, and trying to tell the story is difficult. Uh, I think editing these scenes together probably would have been difficult, oh especially my God. the timing this of big sprawling seventy minute Lancel episode. And, sure. Well, I mean, even specifically just the stuff just that's happening in that, King's yeah. Landing. Yeah, very difficult, and I think they pulled it off really well with Marjorie's kind of you know discovery of what's really going on, and uh, it's just a little too late, and Lancel can't get there, and just everything came together. Now, oddly, the well, maybe not oddly, uh, the episode certainly wasn't unanimous in its praise in our, our feed, our mailbag, our feedback. Uh, there like, were were there nitpicks or were there actual? Well, there were some nitpicks I think might. I mean, I'm I'm going to address them as they come up in the podcast. But also, right. I think there was a little bit of well, this is pretty much what we all thought was happening. This show sure. has got has kind of lost its ability to shock or surprise. Mm-hmm. And I think some of that is just structural. Like when you're in seasons one and two, you can pull screwball endings, whereas. Once you get to the downhill stretch of anything, like Certain it's things got have to happen, and especially when you've got the full power of the internet, and this is a cultural phenomenon. I, we've yeah. seen it so many times. It's just so hard to throw an audience of you know how many people are watching this now? Twenty million. If you mm-hmm. add all the piracy and the, all the different ways you can watch it, like it's very hard to throw a curveball that's not that 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 twenty million people are going to strike out on, right? Uh, I, I don't envy them being in that position, but ultimately, like, I don't care because it was still satisfying. Sure. Like, the things that I want to happen are happening. Yes. That's cool. Like, yeah. that they don't surprise me is not a big deal for and, me and, personally. And also, I guess well, the other thing that kind of surprises me is any time a show can make an emotional connection. Yeah. Like, as I'm, you know, and, and I'm sure I speak for some of the audience, uh, probably you too, uh, I'm not the world's easiest person to reach as far as like making me feel like, oh, wow, this is really kind of awesome or touching. And two or three times in this episode, they, they sucked me in. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't any like big, like shocking surprise. It was just some character's raw emotion about how they felt about a situation or character that I found touching. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could chalk that up to the casting and the actor's execution and the direction and the writing hard, hard for me to score find as well fault. throw that in there too yeah and you know like i said <laughs> a, like i said an instant take and i'm sure we'll you know just remind for everybody we've got a whole spoiler section coming up this week and we're going to have a season wrap-up review next week as well where we'll probably so we're going to be all feedback and all kind of predictions and theories and whatnot of what's going to happen next rick how you doing buddy you, you don't know what it's like out there. Hey, man, d- do you even know what it's like out there? N- no, n- not really. I've been mostly kind of flying around in helicopters, carving likenesses of Michonne in the cell phones, that kind of thing. W- what is it like out there? Oh, well, I think it's time to find out, man. Last I saw your wife, Michonne, was out uh, following a giant wagon train. That, that sounds pretty weird, but it seems like a family-friendly outfit. I mean, she's got RJ and Judah with her, right? Um, actually, she kind of left them to be raised by... Negan and Daryl. Well, crap. Hold on, let me get my boots. All right, well, Rick is getting ready. Aaron and I are, too. We're preparing to once again recommission the Watching Dead out of mothball status to find out what's going on with Rick and Michonne, the ones who live. 
The six-part miniseries premieres Sunday, February 25th on AMC, and we'll be ready with our full episodic coverage each Tuesday. And afterwards, who knows? Maybe we'll check out Dead City. Find our coverage for The Ones Who Live by searching for The Watching Dead or Bald Move Pulp wherever you listen to podcasts. FX is adapting James Clavell's best-selling novel, Shogun, into a 10-part miniseries this spring. Set in the shogunate period of Japan at the turn of the 15th century, Shogun depicts the rise of a feudal lord to Shogun, as seen through the eyes of a shipwrecked English sailor. It's loosely based on the real-life exploits of William Adams and Tokugawa Ieyasu. Shogun has already been successfully adapted back in 1980 with a widely acclaimed miniseries starring Richard Chamberlain. Featuring intricate plots, political scheming, complex characters, and thrilling action. This time, husband and wife team Justin Marks and Rachel Kondo try to recapture the successes of the novel and early adaptations while increasing the levels of historical and cultural accuracy that are often perceived as flaws of this and similar works. Starring Hiroyuki Sanada from The Last Samurai, Mortal Kombat, and John Wick 4, with Cosmo Jarvis of Peaky Blinders, Raised by Wolves, etc., joining the truly massive cast required to bring this complex world to life. Join Aaron and I each week as we deep dive into each episode, uncovering the mysteries, the intrigue, and the glory of Shogun. Shogun premieres on FX Hulu Tuesday, February 27th at the two-part debut. Our podcast will release each Thursday thereafter. Get our Shogun coverage by searching for Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Uh, before we get into the recap, real quick, I wanted to tell our listeners about uh, the giveaway that we're doing with in, in conjunction with Factory Entertainment. Uh, they manufacture a lot of different merchandise that's officially licensed by Game of Thrones, uh, by HBO for Game of Thrones. Uh, they are doing a giveaway right now. If you go to factoryent.baldmove.com, you can go uh, sign up to win one of a bunch of different prizes. They're giving away... Uh, plushies of the dire wolves are giving away plushies of drogon plushies of three-eyed raven they're giving away crown prop replicas uh which are fucking amazing they're giving away a winterfell uh replica it's it's really amazing stuff i've told you guys about it a few times before in the past if you're interested in winning any of that go to factoryent.baldmove.com sign up on that form and you'll be entered excellent excellently done (laughs) Uh, do you, well do you well done, also want to tell these people maybe about the House Snow T-shirt that? Oh shit! I almost forgot about that. Uh, yeah, so we were ta- we were kind of making a joke on the instant podcast about what would House Snow look like if John wanted to, as his right as king, found his own house, and uh, what would the words of House Snow be? What would sigil? And we joked about it being a snowflake. And house words, uh, we know nothing. Uh-huh. And Monday morning, we're like, you know what? That would be kind of a cool T-shirt that uh, probably wouldn't get cease and desisted. So uh, let's do it. And uh, we executed on that plan. And I have no idea how they can get it. They go to the shop. Uh, yeah, go to baldmove.com. Click on the shop link at the top, and you'll see the merch section that you can. Yeah, just go baldmove.com/slash/shop. Now, I will say that this the, we we are actually going to have these shirts manufactured. This is a pre-order. Right. Right? Expect to wait four to six weeks to receive your T-shirt. Yeah. Um, but we've got uh, men's and women's options. We're going to get it printed uh, uh, on a, a, a nice, high-quality charcoal gray T-shirt, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, have them have them printed right here, probably in Cincinnati. Yeah, and, save you guys uh, a little bit of money, and uh, and and get them get them mailed out to everybody. Yep. So 
Uh, but again, it's it's a this isn't a like uh, you buy it and you get it next week. It's going to be a pre order fulfillment type of process. So so give us four to six weeks to get that done. Right, and uh, it's cool because actually we used the design from uh, Gretel B on the forums, mm, who, yes. who graciously provided that for us. Because uh, a lot of people, you know, got in there and started making these sigils for us and yeah. like all that kind of stuff. And well, we took one that we liked and we're we're using that. So it's cool. Uh, thank you to him as well. Okay, let's get into the recap. We start off with everyone preparing for the trials of Loris and Cersei. Uh, someone approaches the Grand Maester and whispers in his ear. Uh, it's one of the little birds. They pull Loris out of the dungeons, take him to the Sept, where he confesses to all of his crimes and his quote-unquote crimes. Gotta, I gotta say that because yeah. you know, frankly, I don't, I don't really think they're that bad. Well, and that's, uh, and he, I mean, and I felt like that they... Oh, I'll let you recap the scene. Okay, and then he, he pledges his life to the seven gods. Uh, instead of being killed, he has the symbol of the seven carved into his forehead, which Marjorie's kind of mad about. And I'm going to take a break there, and we can talk about it. I thought that the guy who played Lancel, um, I've kind of... I've always viewed him as a bit of a, of a lightweight. Lancel or Loris? Loris. Okay. Did I say Lancel? Yeah. God damn it. Uh, well, Lancel too, honestly, <laughs> okay. I've kind of considered, you know, it's hard to take him serious when he's got that, like almost, you know, he's running around and Robert Baratheon is, is making fun of him and tell, getting his, his, you know, chest plate or breastplate stretcher. And he's kind of the, the, the play toy of, uh, of, uh, of Cersei. And similarly with Loras, you know, he's kind of always been the second fiddle to first Rinley. Well, I guess he's kind of the impetus of Rinley taking the throne mm-hmm. and then Marjorie and uh, you know, he he kind of I don't know that they did I don't think they ever did his character justice. He's a much more noble uh badass in the books. However, I felt like he really nailed this moment where you can tell that this isn't something that he's cool with and he doesn't agree with this, but you know, he's been held by fanatics and he was ready to endure and say and do anything to make it all stop. Yeah. And probably trust his sister that, you know, maybe that she's negotiated some kind of good deal where, and there's a lot of implications that the, uh, the high sparrow has kind of fucked her over as far as, I mean, I think he would say, I didn't, assigned as punishment Lancel or god damn it Loras himself has said he won the fight for the seven and and if you're going to be one of the faith militants you got to get a star carved in your head I'm not making up these rules yeah I so it sounds to me like he wasn't actually going to take him into the faith militant like he was going to carve the symbol as his atonement and punishment and then let him just go about his business well that's I mean, that's I don't. What it again, sounded like, to and, me. and that's uh, lots and lots and lots of people wrote in and asked us what did we think Marjorie's plan was. Doesn't matter. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> not only does it not matter, but I think yeah. it's completely inconclusive. I mean, we clearly see that yeah. she was playing some kind of long game, and you know, I think I think it is probable that if this trial had gone through with Cersei, that she would have secured her and Lancel. Loris's. I don't know why I keep it's to, to keep getting those confused. Right. Her and Loris's freedom, and she could have gone and maybe fled the city. I think that was the plan. Rallied yeah. with Lady Olena and then cleaned house, but we don't. I mean, it's that's going to be a forever unknowable question. Yeah, I, I, to me, it felt like she was trying to get everyone she loved out of the city because uh, you know she went with Olena and she said, "Hey, you need to get out of here." Yeah, uh, she was doing the same for Loris. I think uh, up next was. 
taking Loras and getting the hell out of there and never coming back. And I don't like that she died because I quite like the character of Marjorie, and I thought yeah. Natalie Dormer did a, just a great job throughout the entire run of of giving that a lot of complexity and um, a lot of wild to that character. Mm-hmm. But I gotta, I, I gotta say, I feel like it was a great ending for her character because they she did prove to be the smartest person in the room. And were it not for the High Septon's pig-headedness and obstinacy, she would have saved all those people, or at least herself and her family. Right. So that, to me, like, she outthought Cersei at the end and was only beat because of the High Septon being a douchebag. Yeah. Which, Which he know. is. I mean, there's some conspicuous shots of him, like, everyone getting ready for this trial and yeah. he's like putting on his own clothes and yeah. the rags and like yeah. everyone else has handmaidens. Yeah. And At least this shit's this clean shit. this time. There's no mud on it. He's right. still going around barefoot. Right. So he's really, he's really holding up this image. I just, do you, why he seems to be driven by personal desires and a, a lot of people also, and there's so much feedback that I'm just trying to take some of these as we go. A lot of people want to know why did they bar everyone from leaving? And I've got some thoughts on that, but what did you, you think? Like, so I couldn't tell if they were barring everyone or just, like, Marjorie and her it father. It looked like they were and... blocking the exits. Like, people were trying right. to get out. You know, when you got the queen saying, everybody get the fuck out. Like, you know, there's going to be some panic. And uh, her her uncle, Kevin, and Mace Tyrell, not her <laughs> uncle, Kevin Lannister, and her father, Mace Tyrell, were trying to get out, too. And it looked like they were being blocked. I mean, my thought was just that this was the apex of the Sparrow's power, and he wanted everyone to be there for his crowning right. moment of victory. And he'll yeah. be damned if he's going to let them, you know, let let Cersei, especially Cersei, who's been kind of his 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 big foil, let her beat a thorn in his side and rob him of that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what if what if Lancel and his brothers go and pull her out of the uh, the Red Keep and bring her here to justice and? nine-tenths of the audience has fled because they're afraid of some boogeyman that she's going to sick on them. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but none of them make it out. Right. And Zero. that's the other thing is, like, <laughs> uh, that's a that's a great unfalsifiable theory because guess what? The High Septon goes up in a glorious column of fire. Everyone in that place goes up. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll get to that. But uh, real quick, I wanted to ask you about this necklace that Tommen's wearing. They're, mm-hmm. They very... They show a close-up of him getting that put on him. Is that something new? Is that something he's worn before, or is that to symbolize the faith? I don't think I've noticed it, but it was all lioned up. It was all ruby, red ruby lions. Oh, it was all lions? I thought it might have had the faces of the gods. No, like it was definitely a stylized, but kind of like what Jamie wears in his epaulets. Is that what you call the things that are on your shoulder? Epaulets. It was like that kind of stylized, almost human-looking lion face, but then others were recognizably kind of like... Lion sigils, and that's the other thing. Okay. Like, other than his crown, they've kind of abandoned the pretense of him being Baratheon, Baratheon. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Okay, I, I wasn't sure if that was new or not. Um, but the the other thing I couldn't help but notice is how easily the gods sort of play to the whims of the High Septon here. You know, oh, the the warrior would want to punish those who mm-hmm. would do. Uh, things against the the god's will but the mother would show mercy and like really it's just tailored there are so many gods they have so many different dispositions it's tailored to whatever you want to say it is yeah and it lets him like really ryan seacrest that moment draw it out like you know the father says we should whip your ass but the mother's saying you know maybe go easy on him why does the mother win in this 
I mean, wh- wh- it's just the whim of the sparrow. Like, right. That no, is all yes. that that is all that matters in this is what the high sparrow feels. I thought it was always interesting that of all the gods in all the kingdoms, the seven seems mm. like they're the fakiest. Fakiest. Like the, like the old gods have some fucking teeth. They got the weirwood net. That shit works. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, they've the, got the, the resurrection. Relore can bring yeah. people back from the dead. He can make shadow babies pop out of shadow twats. Yeah. Uh, the the face, you know, the the mini face god can give their assassins supernatural disguise powers, and mm-hmm. but the sept the 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 seven are just these mute statues that, as you say, can be kind of you know pounded in any shape you, you need them to be. Yeah, uh, and used so, for good and evil. Yep. All right, let's move on. The mountain shows. Do you up. want to talk about Ma- mm-hmm. Ma- Meister Pi- Grand Meister Pycelle's death? We're about to. Oh, yeah. I thought we had already gotten there. No, we haven't gotten even through half of this scene yet. Uh, uh, when when so the other thing is when well, did a part of you hope for Loris to take the black because the whole time where he's getting on his knees and then like well just take the black man take the black Can take you the black do that take the black I bet I bet there's some there's some there's some dudes up you know just just the law of average is going to say there's there's going to be a couple of of, of of men who might be friendly to your disposition. Yeah, I you just get to imagine ha- you get you to hang out with that. a bunch of guys and and play at swords all day and <laughs> right. You know. Sure, I just don't think that would fly here. Like cuz the high septon is going to say no, no. He, I mean, he's fucking outlawed the trial by combat. Yeah, but I don't think like what taking the black can't? is something you can always do. Why? What if the gods say you can't now? Just like they say this trial by combat bullshit is man-made and it's an abomination and we don't do it anymore. It's an interesting question uh, because, again... He's not going to let that get out of his control. Oh, you found the loophole in my plan. Whoops. Well, but the thing is, is by for the High Sparrow's purposes, that that would serve his purposes just as well. Like, I think he wants this guy... I mean, going taking going up to the, the wall essentially neuters your power for all times. Right, you can't... It's the same consequences, right? Yes. You can't hold lands, you can't marry, yeah. you can't father children. And if I had the choice between getting a star carved on my head and serving these lunatics versus going up and chilling up north with my black brothers, yeah. I, would, I would take the black. I would take the black. I'm with you. Take the black. Not leave the black around, I'd take it. <laughs> uh, so the mountain shows up at Tommen's room to keep him there while the High Sparrow sends for Cersei. But Lancel, who uh, is is out there, I guess, going to get Cersei, gets yeah. distracted by this kid. One little of the bird, little, birds, little bird flying through the tunnel. Whom he follows into the catacombs under the city. And mm-hmm. at the same time, Pycelle is led to Kyburn's shop where the little birds stab him to death. Uh, in a pretty vicious scene. I mean, mm-hmm. so much stabbing in this scene. Uh, although, Pycelle does get one good shot in on one of these birds. Does he? Before he goes, he backhands <laughs> one of those little kids. Yeah. Oh, man. No, stop it. Yeah, I mean, he <laughs> was, like, stabbing Santa Claus a bit. Also, right. I loved how he puffed. Like, he's finally gotten his beard back in the form after Tyrion shaved it off. Uh-huh. And that was always a thing in the book. Like, they always mentioned how, like, less impressive he looked without his big beard. Yeah. And now he's looking in the mirror, and he's like, oh, my this this shit I've been saying to the king has worked. He's asked for a private audience. Like, oh yeah, Grand Ma- Maester Pycelle, I'm back. I'm back. It was great. Still fucking. Yeah, still fucking hell yeah. Grand he's Maester. still he's still fucking them whores. He's not paying them now. Nope. His uh, money. He might be having some supply problems. But... Like I got. I don't. I don't know if I were in his position if I'd continued my behaviors until mm. this faith militant thing is resolved. <laughs> well, you know, because like I. I, I never accused him of being particularly smart. 
Right. He seems like he's a straight-up sycophant mm-hmm. that always tests which way the wind is blowing, and he's kind of like the cockroach of King's Landing. He's always he's always trying to uh, make sure he's in a position where he can be toady to the max. Yeah. And uh, the game got away from him. I do have to say, I really like Cersei in all black. Like, it, it is both regal-looking and intimidating sure. and... Uh, looks good on her. I mean, the colors are good. Like, holy shit, that is a good costume for her. Someone posted, I can't believe, it, I can't remember if it was on the forums or is on Reddit, but someone posted a picture comparing her costume to that of uh, Lieutenant Yar when she had her Romulan. Oh, like, I forget, God. an alternate Romulan, or was she a clone? Did, did they? Were, I don't remember. I, I forget, but and somehow she she ended up with a, a weird, you know, Vulcan haircut and in a severe Romulan uniform. Okay. Pretty, pretty. Do you think there was inspiration there, or is it just like uh, it looked Romulan? Yeah, it does. It does. The sure little, does. like the little shoulder chains and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it makes me wonder. Like she's kind of forsaken the colors of the Lannister house, right? That gold is now silver. So another thing where I'm trying to serve dozens of emails is, what do you think of the idea that Cersei knew that Tommen was going to die? That she deliberately forsook him in his time of need to... And she was already wearing black, which is your morning colors. And she had right. kind of like a weird affect when she was viewing his corpse and kind of matter of fact about it. I I don't buy that. I think she was, I don't I think yeah. she was dressing up to be the Dark Queen right? and be all, all set up for vengeance. And I saw her as being completely shell-shocked and just accepting the inevitability of the prophecy. Yeah, and... Uh... You know, has a new resolve for right. some pretty dark things. But I don't think there's anything in the show that direct. If you want to push that theory, well, here because because she did put her vengeance with uh you know Septa Anella, yeah, um R I P, um maybe uh, not yet, not yet, yeah, it's gonna be a, a few days. I well, who knows? Well, yeah, I guess because she's the queen now. Um, but she put her vengeance. I mean, instead of going right to her son or being there with him. Mm-hmm. She has her monster guard him while she's taunting and and wineboarding Septa Anella. Like there is there is a little bit if you wanted to go with the like she just didn't care about Tommen or she intentionally meant for Tommen to die so she could be the queen. There's not a lot that can contradict that theory. Okay, I'm gonna give one point to contradict it. Do um, it. And, and I also want to say I think Cersei's uh, emotions and motivations here are more complex. I don't think she's got a master plan for Dama, and I think she got so wrapped up in her vengeance that she lost track of being a mother to this child. Sure. Uh, and b- because, and, and the, the reason I say I don't think she wanted him to die or expected him to die is because she sent the mountain to keep him out of the sept. And if she hadn't done that, he might have been in, that, in the sept when it blew up. That's so actually a really good contradiction to she it. She did not want him to die. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion. <laughs> no, Take I that think for what you will. You're right, because why wouldn't she just let him go to King to, and, and burn right. up with his, his uh, sweetheart? Yeah. Uh, uh, and he had every reason to be there for Loris's trial. He just wasn't because the mountain stopped him. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to Lancel still chasing this kid uh, around the catacombs. Uh, the kid pops out of the shadows and shanks him. Lancel drags himself through the catacombs, noting all of the wildfire and several candle fuses at the end of the hall. Uh, while this is happening, Marjorie realizes, oh my god, Cersei, Tommen, neither one of them are here. Something must be up. 
She tries to convince everyone to leave, but she's too late. Lancel can't get to the fuses before they burn out, and the Great Sept goes up in a fireball, killing Ugh. absolutely everyone inside. The pacing of Lancel crawling <laughs> and trying to get to those... I was genuinely wondering, will he get there and, and snuff them out? And I was also like, man, is Kyburn just using these children, like, up? Like, like he's going, this kid's going to sacrifice himself? And I thought the candle timer was actually kind of clever. It is, yeah. And the way it served for him, like, agonizingly, slowly crawling down. Now, some people... Uh, I'm going to answer another couple dozen questions here. Some people had a real big problem with, like, so Arya can get uh-huh. stabbed in the guts, no uh-huh. problem. Lancel takes a dagger in, in the leg, and he goes down. I think can't. it was a kidney shot. I think it was pretty it's, it's, vicious. He, he, he got stabbed in the lower thigh. Lower thigh? But here's the thing. I think that the kid hamstrung him, like... Like and that, pulled it out through the back of his leg. Yeah, you know, like if you get your hamstring, yeah. your hamstring cut, you can't bend your legs. <laughs> it's like that's a that's the um like if like to to hamstring someone is to cripple them. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we're supposed to understand that that kid was taught the and and Kyburn's mm-hmm. a master of anatomy, the precise point to strike him and 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 cripple him. Um, okay. Because I first I was going in and like I don't I mean I had the same problem like what the fuck he got stabbed in the leg and this is happening like if they wanted to do that then why not have the kids like slices Achilles tendons or something yeah but then I did some research into like hamstringing and what that looks like on a person um, which man Wikipedia has got this whole like if you want to know how to torture or maim or kill a human being they've got uh Let's look at detailed torture. files like the Terminator I have detailed files on right. human like yeah you can get into a really black hole in, in Wikipedia but yeah I get I I feel like you can quibble with it but I feel like we're intended to understand that he was hamstrung which means that leg was just not gonna work yeah and it was completely useless. For the record, as most of you know, we had problems with Arya's stabbing. So it's not like we're without complaint here. Uh, well, I think people wanted us to go like on the opposite. Yeah, they wanted but, – but I'm like after – I was ready to accept it just because rule of cool and all that. But then when I sure. looked into it and where the hamstring is and how you could do that, I'm like, okay. I'm completely fine with Lancel only being able to crawl there. Okay. Uh, and so as the sept burns, Cersei looks on smugly from her window, keeps sipping her wine. Uh, Tommen also looks on in disbelief from his chambers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to say, this explosion was better than I ever could have hoped for. It was some Independence Day shit. We, yeah, we <laughs> talked about this on the Instant Podcast, but it's impossible to undersell or oversell how just fucking awesome Yeah, in every sense of the word that explosion was. Yeah, and, and how it puts to rest any idea that someone could have survived it. Yeah, and and the behind the scenes was really great too because they essentially did all that with, um, they 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 had all the crowd. They put a flash of green light, and they had like Jonathan Price kind of like recoil, uh-huh. and everything else was CG, and it looked amazing, and it showed. Also, just that you know that Cersei, this was not a scalpel. This was some. This was a savage slash into the heart of King's Landing that killed many, many, many innocent people and commoners. Yeah, and you know we're gonna have a plenty of discussion about what this means for her and Cersei, mm-hmm. because you know just as a as a as a teaser, you know Jamie lost his honor and his future that he wanted as a knight to prevent this very thing from happening. Right, and now his lover goes and pulls it what is that going to mean for their relationship uh yeah there's a lot of of looks at the end that we'll have to talk about sure sure uh but let's move on to cersei uh with unella she is bound to a table in the dungeons uh cersei delivers a monologue about how people do things because it feels good then she reminds unella that 
you know, I once said to your face that the last thing you'd ever see would be my face uh, before you die. And today, you know, it's not quite that day, yeah. but it will be the last thing you see. Then she locks Anella in the dungeons with Sir Gregor. And, you know, this is Cersei. She's just insane at this point. Yeah. No, she's exacting revenge from her tormentor. Uh, Again, arranging for the painstaking torment of this. And again, she's not wrong. No, I feel pretty good about this, honestly. She's not wrong about, like, confess that you enjoyed it. Confess that this wasn't about your seven-pointed bullshit. This was about you getting off on seeing me suffer and seeing me brought low. On the other hand, hard to feel good about, uh, you know, assigning Sir Gregor to do whatever he's going to do to her. For as long right. as she wants it to last. Like, that's pretty fucking grim. Yeah, I've always been conflicted on Cersei because, like, she's always kind of had villains who were working against her and maybe a little more disliked than mm. her um, in, in some ways. I know, like, early seasons when she was fucking with Tyrion, I really hated her sure. a lot. Um, but, you know, she's had a lot to endure. And she's come around a little bit. And, like, now she's got other people who I kind of don't like even more than her. And to see yeah. her get a little bit of revenge here is bittersweet i guess she's not totally sweet and she's much more three-dimensional than she is in the books like i feel like that's like i i i like the nuance that they've i mean they're they end up in the same spot Mm -hmm. but in the show cersei by the time she gets around to where she's just torturing people for fun she's lived a life that you kind of kind of like okay i see where she got here where in the books it just seemed like it was much more like jesus christ you were born on third base and thought you hit a triple and you think you're way smarter than you are i mean there was certainly elements of that oh yeah nothing and nothing in the books that really kind of humanized her whereas in the show i think they've done a very good job of showing all the things that have happened to her and her relationship with her father and her relationship with jamie and all the reversals and how this prophecy has kind of been you know, weighing in her mind, and it's a very Macbethian kind of tragedy. Uh, mm-hmm. This 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 self fulfilling prophecy that she's got going. Right. It's it's really good. It's really good. Let me ask you a sort of strange question, uh, and follow me here. Do you think that there are any parallels between Sansa and Cersei? Oh, oh, I'm not going to serve up that dry pie because we got some really eloquent. We do contrasts of the queens. Okay, they've of, I, of so this is a thought I ju- literally just had. I'm going to save it for feedback because it sounds like people have thought about it more i can scroll down and read it right now if you want me to no we're good uh so teaser yeah for the feedback section uh i really really i mean this is one of my absolute favorite moments so far in this series Mm -hmm. is tom and going out this window here and i I cannot believe how well that was done and the the fact that it's just him staring and you can hear the people still screaming Uh uh-huh and the confidence that they had to just allow... I counted 17 seconds from the time that he exits the frame. <laughs> and then, like, three after just he Just matter of fact. He yeah. just comes back and, like, he, he, he sets down the crown. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, you could read a lot into that. Like, his that's his respect for the office. I don't know. And just... you know, like His said, loss of Marjorie. I mean, it's everything, right? And, and that's the thing. Like, I do feel like this little boy, this 13-year-old, 14-year-old boy, took this office really seriously. And he wanted to be a good king. Yeah. And he had this amazing, he's like, man, I got this amazing wife, and my mom loved, and like, and, and this season, all that's been taken away from him, and turned literally to ash in his mouth, mm-hmm. and what's he going to do? Not Because not, the only thing he's got left is his mom, and he now knows beyond a shadow of the doubt that she engineered all this, so she's a right. monster. Yep. What in the fuck? 
I was hoping that he was going to roll up his sleeves and commit to like being a good, but I mean that's too much to expect from a fourteen-year-old. Yeah, and I, you know, I kind of want to see Danny take out Cersei in King's Landing, not Danny take on Tommen in yeah. King's Landing. Because uh, Tommen and like, Danny have a lot in common, honestly. Like, I feel like Tommen wanted to be a good king in the same way that Danny wants to be a, a good queen. Okay. Yeah. And they both had a lot of setbacks, except for, you know, yeah. Danny's parent, a crazy parent, was murdered decades before he could fuck with her life as an adult, whereas Tommen mm-hmm. was still saddled with this crazy woman from the jump. Yeah. So, I, yeah, it's. It's great, and this 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 kid really believable. Like it, it was shocking. It was shocking. Yeah, it it absolutely was. Um, also, the I thought there was conspicuous visual imagery of these twin pillars. Like, did you notice like um, the motif in his bedroom or his chambers had the twin pillars, and then you have a window and then twin pillars, and all the season he's been saying right. the faith in the crown of twin pillars. When one crumbles, the other must fall. So he's got to fall. Also, you know, gives new meaning to the the the, the name King's Landing. <laughs> oh God, In, indeed it does. Uh, so we go over to uh, Walder Frey. He is celebrating the Lannister victory over the Blackfish and Riverrun. Party of the twins! Woo! Yep. Uh, Braun and Jamie are sitting there. Braun's sort of envying Jamie's powers with women, uh, as all the women ogle him. Uh, Jamie calls over some women for Braun to cheer him up, and Braun heads off with them. And then Walder sits down, takes his place at the table. And he goes on and on about the victories he's won and the fighting he's had to do, though it's not literal fighting, and tries to compare himself to Jamie, who <laughs> he's having none of it. Jamie puts him in his place with some comments about how the Lannisters continually have to ride up and take back their sure. castles and their lands for them. Uh, and, you know, questions what this alliance is even for. And Frey is such an idiot for trying to draw common cause with him, them both being Kingslayers. Right. Uh, but I tell you what, the second time through, through knowing that that wine-serving girl is Arya yeah. makes this scene amazing. It does. It's Because much she's not eye-fucking Jamie, she's sizing him up. Yeah. And then when Walder Frey is saying, um, you know, the Tullys mocked me, the Starks mocked me, where are they now? And they cut to Jamie and... S- Arya is literally in the background, crossing from the left side of the screen to the right. Uh-huh. Like, like, well, there, there's the Starks right there. It's like mm-hmm. this. This scene alone re- re- rewards repeat watching so much. It does. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a ton more to say about that well, scene, but yeah. I mean, I guess we can because I still want to talk to the about. Resolution. I want to. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and Arya. I got a bunch of questions, and I want to talk about that too. Did you take Walder's talk about the famous Blackfish being killed by foot soldiers? Is there any fuel to the no, fire of zero. East? Okay, no. I don't. I just don't buy it. <laughs> I just like you don't lie to Jamie Lannister when okay. he can verify it. <laughs> okay, I just I got a, a smattering of emails suggesting this is I'm this, sure, yeah. is this uh, you know grist for that mill, and I was with you, but I want to see what you thought of it. Okay. So we move on to Cersei taking a look at Tommen's corpse and ordering Kyburn to burn it and bury the ashes where the Sept once stood. She is really... Uh, she's going to create a monument. A one, Twin Towers-esque monument to Tommen. One final golden shroud for her last child. Yeah. Uh, not more. Not much more to say about that. Let's move on to Sam and Gilly. Oh, what a great scene. Sam and Gilly and the baby arrive at the Citadel. They kind of oogle it from a distance here. 
in awe. And they go inside and they explain the situation at Castle Black, which is basically all the fools are dead mm-hmm. who are in line. I'm the new maester up there. They give Sam access to the library, which is basically his dream room, his sure. dream building. Sure. While the Grand Maester is brought in, unfortunately, they won't let Gilly or the baby inside. Yeah, this, I mean, this whole, uh, seeing Old Town and seeing the the High Tower and the Citadel and the White Ravens, they got there at the right moment where the White Ravens are being sent to all the houses to right. say the winter's coming. Just hundreds of them. Was just a, 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 a fantastic moment, and the CG went for broke. Like, And yeah. then when they went to the library, we talked about it, like, that those... Um, you know, the clockwork mechanisms yeah. from the beginning of the, the, the show. The, yeah, the intro sequence. Like, those are there. Like, down to... If you've noticed that, like, when they zoom in on that sun, that clockwork sun, that they actually... It tells a story of the uh, Robert's Rebellion. It shows that huh. the, um, the the car, the, the, the bass relief shows that you've got a wolf and a stag and a lion all bowing before the dragon and then they cut back to it and now the the animals are all attacking the dragon and then at the end they're all bowing to the stag hmm. so it tells you like just that that that's exactly what happened as we kind of join back in season 1 and it, that's all in place like that that's not just the um the clockwork mechanism itself but all that stuff is intact pretty cool yeah. No, Pretty it was cool. super cool. Uh, a couple other things I like about this scene. Sam getting out of this carriage and having the sword covered. Yeah. Like, most people would rock this sword and be, like, intimidating. But Sam knows if someone sees this yeah. and realizes, A, that it's my father's sword, or B, that it's Valerian steel, mm-hmm. they want it. They could just he take can't it from stop me. stop Sure, right? sure. He's not equipped. Uh, I thought that was a nice touch. And then uh, I really love him trying to get all philosophical in here mm-hmm. with this this maester this yeah. little guy he's like i suppose that life is irregular uh-huh. mm-hmm. <laughs> this guy eyebrows. hasn't had an irregular bowel movement for seven years <laughs> let alone in something like this yeah uh it's, what it's do you think, just funny what do you think danny to... says when she uh wants to go visit the library for the first time and this guy tells her no women or children uh how about Jacaris. a dragon <laughs> right right boom there you just we just lost 25 percent of accumulated knowledge well of... dragons are asexual so what do you think about that <laughs> that's true we're changeable as flame fucker yeah uh yeah that's that's not gonna fly in the new world order i don't think all right uh and, and i love just kind of the style of this library we talked about the chandeliers but like the books are all chained yeah. to the shelves like i don't know what the the card catalog system looks like here but Apparently, they don't really want you checking things out so much as like standing there and reading them. Maybe. Well, or do you think he'll he'll get a key? I noticed on the end of the bookcases there was like lock mechanisms on each shelf. So, so I imagine that you, if you out. were a full if you were a full maester studying there, they would give you a key. I you imagine, could unlock yeah. it and then and get what you want. But for the the plebes, yeah, they can look and touch but not take. Right, which you know that seems like a sensible precaution, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm sure there's some books here that no one else has. Like this is, right. my God, it was just this is just amazing. Like uh, it made yeah, me I mean, tens of thousands of books. Right, it made me. You know, I've I've seen a couple of renderings of like what the Alex, the Library of Alexandria would look like, but mm-hmm. this just looked like that to the nth degree. Or if you've ever been, I'm, I mean, I, I haven't, but I want to go to the Library of Congress. Yeah. It's the same kind of like you walk out, it's like, Jesus Christ, how is there this many words in the entire world? Uh, 
Anything else? Can't, to you say? can't just walk in on the internet. I'm sure if you could visualize the internet, it would be right. kind of look like this, but you can't. But you can eventually walk... when we get to matrix levels. There like, you go. You could load Aww. yourself into a construct. Virtual with reality. Yeah. All of the books in the world. Visualize all the internet on the. Yeah, that would be pretty. That'd just be pretty walk incredible. through the halls of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm chaining those books down though, because the internet. A lot of piracy there. Sure. Uh, all right, we go to John, who's at Winterfell, fondling the chairs in the Grand Hall there with Melisandre, and Davos comes in and confronts her about Shireen. She tries to defend her actions by also blaming Stannis and also saying, hey, we're alive, aren't we? John's alive. It kind of worked. Uh, John asks if she has anything to say for herself and then banishes her from the north and says he'll kill her if she returns. And then on her way out, Davos says, you know what? No, I'll kill you. I'll right. kill you personally if you return. Yeah. I like this scene. I like a lot about it. I like how it opened up with the White Raven making its way to Winterfell, which sets up the next scene. I like John kind of marveling at how his his station has changed in life, and Melisandre mm-hmm. kind of reminding him that, like, yeah, super sad that you were a bastard of a great house, and you got this. You had to sit in the back row of the feast, but you know, I was. Uh, a slave girl that got you know traded around and it, it could have been worse and the john's not even like you know yeah you're right and man uh liam cunningham i believe is the guy who plays davos i probably screwed up a syllable or two there uh just goes for broke yeah. on this thing that you know, because we've been soft pen. Like I don't. You know, we 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 were sure that something would come of it, but like maybe not. I wasn't. I, really? I was. Yeah. If I recall, a few episodes ago, I was like, yeah, they're probably just going to drop that because you remember in in the fact that he gave her that stag and like that they they did really sell very economically their kind of father daughter relationship. That maybe yeah. that he gave her the affection that she never quite all got that she needed from Stannis. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was just I I got pretty emotional at just the fact that he had kind of accepted it intellectually the the Sh- Shireen's fate, but until Melisandre owned up to it, like it freshly hit him again. Mm-hmm. Like in the, now he like f- felt it in his gut, and yeah. like all this anger and grief was just spilling out of him, and he was dead to rights. Like great performance, and because I got a couple emails where people are like, you know, if you look at it from a certain point of view. The Lord of Light maneuvered events in ways that, you know, put like like if this went down in the other way, if they didn't go the wind if they didn't go to the wall, then Melisandre wouldn't have met John and they wouldn't have saved the wildlings, they wouldn't have been able to go to Hard Home and saved all those you know, the people. Right. Yada yada yada, right? But in the end of the day, there's the Davos argument where why did you burn her? It was the only way. The only way for what? You defeat, it did nothing. To, yeah. to, to reach a total defeat. It accomplished absolutely nothing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unless, yeah, I mean, unless it was the moral uh, sledgehammer that it needed, that, that it took for Stannis to lose that battle. Well, and there's I, also, because people, I, we've been saying, where's the snow, where's the snow, where's the snow? And people are saying, well, we still have this unnatural warmth brought, heat wave brought on by the death of Shireen. I mean, that's a dark interpretation, which means that Melisandre burnt Shireen so that Jon Snow could lead his army down and defeat Ramsey at Winterfell. Right. Which kind of goes into the predestination that we've been kind of playing with this whole season ever since Bran went to the Tower of Joy for the first time, or actually since he, he broke Hodor. Is that part of this whole prophecy that Melisandre's been working under, like warming up the winter? I don't or, think so. Or I not, think, because I, th- I don't know where you would get that. Like, 
Why? Well, then you can assume that, but there's no con- contextual evidence for well, it. Well, she right? burnt Shireen to get a break in the weather. But I mean, it, that's absolutely canon. That happened last season. Okay, but it didn't happen for Stannis. So you're saying it no, was it delayed? No, it did. It did. They actually showed the wind, the snow was melting, and his guys were, his troops were able to get out of that pass that they were camped at, and 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 go to Winterfell. Mm, okay, I don't um, remember that. Well, it it it, it did. Uh, the question is whether it lasted long enough for John to take advantage of it too. Because the other thing is, in between those events, you know, uh, Sansa and uh, Theon jumped from the parapets of Winterfell and landed in that nice twenty thirty right. foot deep snow dip drift. So there's still some what the fucks going on here. Okay, but it, yeah, I for some reason I remembered Stannis's journey being very perilous because of the snow, but you know. Maybe I'm misremembering that. Uh, the other. Well, what did para- they burn Shireen for? I I could not tell you. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. Melisandre it was literally... saying, "I need to burn this girl. Let's yeah. do it." And then as soon as they did, they showed like snow melting and the troops like getting prepared for war, and so hmm. it was just okay. to open the way because they were snowed in at that mountain pass. Okay, uh, so there are some parallels between Sansa and Jon here. Both of them kind of looking back at their childhood and saying, boy, I was foolish and I took all this for granted. Yeah. Uh, you know, Sansa later in a scene is sitting under the tree, uh, lamenting that fact. Uh, John here in this scene is like, I used to sit in the back of the hall and, you know, I, I wasn't as privileged, but boy, I was still privileged. Right. <laughs> like, right. And, and neither of them realized that as children. And it shows that they're starting to grow up a bit more. Did you have a problem with the fact that John was so accommodating to Sansa and wanting her to be the lady and her to get the Lord's chambers and then seemingly had no problem with taking on the mantle of the King of the North in the next scene. Yeah. What do you do when they're shouting King of the North? That's what I'm I, I, That's literally how I feel. Right. Like I don't think John in a million years would put his name forth to that. But when you've got all those Lords shouting the King of the North, like, Hey, 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 simmer down. <laughs> yeah. None of this shit. It's all Sansa. Like, what would you... The Queen of the North. Yeah, like, nine-year-old girl has proclaimed me king. What am I to do? What yeah. am I to do? What am I to do, Sansa? Uh, speaking of Sansa, John watches Melisandre right away. Sansa comes up, and uh, John starts a conversation about the Knights of the Vale and how they came in and saved them, and uh, how that was all due to her. She apologizes for not telling him about it beforehand, and they vow kind of to trust each other here. Uh, once again, then Sansa says winter has arrived and they know this because they needed a fucking raven to tell them up in the north. I, I, think I don't so, know why they send the, ravens north. The north is like always kind winter. of cold. So like, uh, but there's a big difference between, you know, even in the north, like summer versus winter. So it's not the cold. It's not the snow. It's not the walkers that signify winter. Well, like when it gets, <laughs> it's win- this white, white raven. When it gets winter, uh, it snows like as deep as the walls of Winterfell. Right. I know. So, and the, you're like, there's like, then this holds a procedure. Like, uh, um, there, and Winterfell kind of serves as like the bastion of the North. Like, all the common folk come and they said they call it Wintertown, mm-hmm. where like it's more or less abandoned during the summer, but people move into these hovels that are outside the walls of Winterfell because. Winterfell's warmed by geothermic vents, and they have, like, these extensive uh, greenhouse glasses where they can still grow vegetables and food during the winter. And they have all these stores laid up, and they have a natural spring, so it's like... Shit, I haven't seen any of that. I know, they don't. They, they, they This is all stuff that's in the books. Huh. Um, and I don't know if it'll, like... I, I, I don't know if it'll come into play. It doesn't seem like they'll get that granular, but mm-hmm. um, I'm just giving you some background color for it. Okay. Um, 
But I liked it, and I liked the fact that the irony of winter being here and father's always promised, because these are all summer children. They've right. never seen a winter. They it's were all both. years? They, they, they've all been born after the last winter, so this is, uh, you know, it's, a, it, it's kind of a, a confirmation of their, uh, their, their family words. Yeah, and it's coming at a good time. They're they're kind of on the rise again. Yeah. Uh, I also like the fact that Sansa puts out that only a fool would trust Littlefinger. Right. Like that that makes me feel a lot better about where her head's at. Absolutely. So we go over to Elena meeting with uh, Lara and the Sand Snakes, and she verbally spanks the Sand Snakes here. <laughs> so great. And okay, what's your name, Babaro? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, you look, you like, look like, like a little an angry little boy. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then she, uh, Lara, offers her an alliance. Elena's not really interested in the particular words she uses there. That's like survival. Uh, she's not. She's not content for survival. She's an old woman. She's not going to survive shit. Right. Right. None of us survive. Right. We can only exact revenge. Uh, so Alara calls in Varys, who has a pretty good idea of the words she wants to hear, fire and blood. Mm-hmm. Which is the, I don't know if you knew this, but that's a Targaryen's official family words. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that's like this. So this is an interesting remix because in the books, Prince Doran gives this speech to one of his daughters hmm. who's complaining about him doing nothing. And he's like, oh, I've got this long term plan to do blah 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 and form an alliance with Danny and and have have, have vengeance and justice fire and blood and they carved it up a pin, a, like th- with three different characters but I thought Varys was a badass when he walks in with that fire and blood yeah I was cheering on the couch that was a great moment yeah it makes me wonder like I never how... used Varys and badass in the same sentence before but he was it makes me wonder if he's still hooked into maybe the network in King's Landing a little bit because he comes in kind of already knowing the score, although Alara probably could have briefed him, right. I imagine. I, I, I mean, I speculated that he – you got to wonder, like, who the little birds are really serving because they, yeah. they, they made it a point that they were asking about Varys. Mm-hmm. I feel like if Varys shows up and it's, you know, you know Daddy daddy Varys versus Daddy Kyburn, yeah. the little birds are going to choose Varys. I think he's still got the sweeter candy. I would imagine so. Uh, that sounds that's yeah. like he's rolling up with a van with no windows. And, yeah. Uh, didn't mean it to be like that, but there it is. It's out there. What am I going to do? Also, like, this is Varys in his element. Like, he's put on Earth to share intelligence and to form alliances and get people to do the things that he needs them to do so that his masters will survive yeah, and thrive. Um, and it apparently works if you look at the end of this episode. I mean, sure. uh, boats for days now. Yeah, and it's also a reversal because Lady Olena was kind of uh, dismissive of him, mm-hmm. as she is of most people when she first meets them, and now he's kind of the one holding uh, with the power in this relationship. Yeah, I mean, as much as, you know, Cersei was laid low, I think Elena kind of is, too. I mean, all oh, of her children are dead. Or, her future has been robbed from her. Right, her house is is all but gone at this point. Even she's getting vengeance, like, what does she do? Well, she's got, she's too old to have children. No, that's all she wants anymore, is revenge. Yeah, do you, hmm. One thing I wonder about is, will that go that smoothly? Because if you're a lord of the Reach... Are you going to commit your forces to get vengeance for your, your the grandmother of your lord, or yeah, are you for going essentially to a dead think, house? Are you going to think, huh? 
maybe the time's right for a new leadership in the reach. There will have to be. I mean, one way or another. You're right. Someone's going to have to take over there when Elena... And, and I guess that's the that card she can play, like whoever serves me best. Right. Like whoever yeah. gets the Make most glory in the war contest. to come, the I will name you the successor. Right. Yeah, that could be interesting. Uh, I don't know what else to say about that. I'm going to move on to Danny and Dario and and what I think is another really great scene. Uh, Dario goes in to kind of talk about strategy, but Danny tells him, hey, you're not going to Westeros with me. Dario proclaims his love for her and tries to convince her to change her mind, but Danny really wants to get married when she goes to Westeros, so she refuses. Uh, instead, Dario's going to be left in charge here. It's, it's, it's pretty goddamn romantic in the Anne of Green Gables sense of the word. Like, it's <laughs> what, what just, just like, I mean, these are, like... D- Dario like he's pulling her hair? Did no, I no, miss no, no, that? No. Like Dario proclaiming his love for her is, uh, I was fully believable. And oh, yeah. kind of the yeah. first, I guess him kneeling before her when she was on fire when the, the in the at the Vase Dothrak was the genesis of this. But this was it felt like an earned moment. Uh huh. That all he wants, like I don't care about my glory. I don't care about other. I just want reputation to, or anything. Yeah. I I don't care what other people think about me if I'm just the mistress. Mm-hmm. I don't give a shit. I, I don't have any pride. I just want to be with you. And yeah. how appealing that offer is to Danny, and yet she does the thing that a queen does, and she rules, and she realizes that making political alliances is more important than fulfilling what obviously is she wants in her heart. Right. Uh, frankly, I think she might be a little disappointed when she gets to Westeros and finds out that essentially all the royal men are dead. Like... <laughs> Yeah, there's John. Now it's now it's Cersei ruling. It's Alara ruling. It's Sansa there's ruling. Still Yara. Like, there's still Yara. It's down for it. Yara's down for it. Like, it, it, will law allow for that? I guess she makes the laws. Right. Like, she could marry a woman. That's I guess. the other thing. Like, I got there's so many people feedbacking about like where, how, what, by what right does Cersei sit there? Like, might. If this episode doesn't convince you that you can take all your secessions and your heraldry and your genealogy right. and throw it out the fucking window, like, the only way this is going to be important is at the end when someone's victorious and they're trying to decide who's got the best claim. Because that's the thing. The secession stuff only matters when things are peaceful and orderly. Yeah. When you're at war and there's rebellion and there's no order, the succession is just a sketch of a guideline of what might happen if the powerful lords of the armies want it to. And if the the person who eventually wins allows it. Yes. Like yes. might makes right in this Cersei situation. Cersei had there's there's no fucking succession chart you could dream up in Westeros to show Cersei sitting the iron throne. Nope. But she is because she torched all the other lords. She's got the mountain and she's got one of the largest armies still beside her. Right. And so she sits wherever the fuck she wants. <laughs> Including the Iron Throne. Right. Uh, so Danny then goes to Tyrion uh, to talk with him. Uh, we, we find out that Tyrion's kind of the one suggested that Daria be left behind here. And he applauds her, welcomes her to the great game, uh, applauds her decisions. And Danny sort of lamented, laments the loss of her emotions here, really. You know, she's she didn't feel anything when she did this. Uh yeah, that that takes a little, little bit of the romance away. <laughs> it, it it does. Yeah, I mean, it's still very romantic from Dario's side. Yeah, yeah, that's. It I is, guess that's. Yeah, you're right. It's just very one sided. Um, the whole like I didn't. I not only did I feel nothing, but impatience for it to be over. 
She just wants that's, conquest. I mean, that's she's, brutal. She's trying to be a ruler here. That's the thing yeah. that's driving her. Yeah. Uh, then Tyrion tells her how he never sort of believed in anything until now and that he believes in her. And she pulls this very pointy object out of her shirt, <laughs> which cannot be comfortable, and pins it on him. And he is the new hand of the queen. Yep. And they uh, she's nailed, had a replica made. They nailed this moment. Like I know I've been criti- yeah. critical of some of uh, you know Amelia's performances before, but I feel like she excels in these kind of scenes. Yeah, where um, you know when she's really angry, it works, um, and when she's like showing loyalty to her people, I feel like she's really genuine. Uh, and, and you know Peter Dinklage is right there. This is the culmination. We talked about an incident podcast about how even the way they staged it, where they were standing and they could look eye to eye. Yeah. Um, and then him bowing before her. It was just great. Just great. Yeah, it's a great moment for both of them One, because... Two of my favorite characters doing their thing really well and seeing Tyrion rewarded, not on the basis of his birth, not on the basis of his father. Mm-hmm. Um and in a position where no one can take this from him, right? On a whim, um, and and respected for his mind, you know his 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 advice. Yeah, which is what he always wanted in King's Landing, never yeah. got. Uh, you know, and and it's too kind of sort of underprivileged children. I know, like Tyrion is part of a royal house, but right. He never felt like it, and sure. he was never treated like it by no, anyone. He's, he's been shit on his whole life. He's he, been... Uh, right. He's been a joke, and he's been disrespected. Sure. All of that. And same with Danny. She's been sold off in, in marriage alliances. She's not been taken seriously uh, by anyone. And now they're both kind of together on this same path, yeah. which I like a lot. Yeah. Indeed. So we go over to Walder, who's eating alone in his hall, and he is annoyed that his sons aren't Where around. Where are my sons? Uh, the handmaiden insists that they're already here and points to the pie he's been eating. Walder pulls the top off to reveal a finger, and then the handmaiden pulls her face off to reveal that she's Arya Stark and happily slices his throat open while smiling. Looked like pretty dry pie. That, the driest, yeah. Those phrases, they're just gamey and stringy. And yeah, and nobody moisturizes. No. Those fingers are dry. Mm-mm. Dry as can be. Nobody putting the lotion on their skin. <laughs> uh, and man, what a brutal throat slitting! Like the way that that like the the I don't know, the slice was kind of like gaping open, and yeah, there she's was pulling his head back, and then there and there's foam like you know out coming out of it, like it trying to talk. Yeah, whoo! Ah. Oh, it's horrible. And it's like one of those things we've always talked about. That's the essential thing that makes the Aria engine go is that you're simultaneously pumping your fist. That mm-hmm. she's getting vengeance and also thinking, this is a real bummer that this 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 fifteen sixteen year old girl at this time at, and she started off like she's eight or nine has been turned into this engine of vengeance. Yeah, I'm over that. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see her kill people. I still acknowledge the tragedy of her existence. <laughs> I don't. I got over that a season ago. Like, yeah, she wanted to be a knight and she had the you know. Helmet on her head, but I don't know that she wanted all this to happen. Right. Ugh. Uh, but I don't know. I was happy for her in the scene, and she was happy. Obviously, she's smiling. It's it, you're right. It's a little disturbing. This young girl. No, no. Own it. Smiling, own it. Keep, keep. Yeah. For some keep people, cheering her. For on. some people, I'll say, but not for me. <laughs> I'm cheering. Uh, so we go over to Littlefinger approaching Sansa under that one weirwood tree in the grove. Yeah, with the red one. Yep. Uh, in Winterfell, and he tries to talk her into making him Lord of the North with her by his side, but she doesn't quite go for that, which uh, that's 
Mm, I wouldn't either. Good for you, Sansa. Uh, he says that he's publicly pledged his allegiance to the Starks with you know the Knights of the Vale and all that, sure. and that she needs to be the one to take control of the North because he doesn't think the people will follow John, and that uh, she needs to be the leader. And also, we finally get his motivation. Like, we've talked about, like, where does he see himself? And he sees himself on the Iron Throne with Sansa by his side. And that's the one picture that motivates him. And anything that he can do to bring that picture into sharper focus, he does. I thought that was an underrated moment, an undersold moment, because that's something we've been talking about for many, many seasons now. Right. And as much in as much as you believe him in this moment, and I think I do. I think he's revealing I his absolutely true believe him about the Iron Throne. Right. I don't know about the Sansa part. I think he'd be happy with that as long as she was, you know, uh, subservient. The thing guess, is, if you him. remember, and I can't remember if it was season one or season two. I think it was season two where he was uh, schooling Ross... Uh, the 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 prostitute from the north and the finer arts of seduction and he tells his 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 backstory mm-hmm. that he was awarded the Tullys, always loved Catelyn. She was pledged to be married to Bre- the to Ned's older brother Brandon. Uh, he challenged Brandon to a duel and Brandon just fucked him up. And it was only because Cat begged for him not to kill him that he didn't and it humiliated him. And and now he's transferred kind of this love to, you know, Sansa, who in the books is always described as being kind of like, you know, the spitting image yeah. of, of Catelyn Tully. I can see it. I, I mean, I don't know that he's in love with Sansa, but he's in the, the in love with this fantasy. And that, certainly. that's, that's that certainly picture, that's yeah. a distinction, you know, because if you're in love right. with the fantasy, then the fantasy can disappoint you. A person, you know, uh, I, I I guess I buy it. I, I buy that. he yeah. thinks This is true. I do too. Um, I I like how Sansa plays this because she doesn't she doesn't say, "Well, that's a bullshit picture and it'll never happen." You fuckface. Yeah. Uh, she says that's a pretty picture, but she and she rebuffs him like just enough to make that moment stop. Yes. While still like kind of leaving him the on the door was hook. cracked open. Yeah, which I well played. Yeah, I think so anyway. Um, and I don't know how you feel about this. Like, why does she not go for it? A, because she doesn't trust him. I, There's I think that's a, part of reason it. Reason A number one, sure. Uh, a couple of other reasons, maybe, you know, he just said this thing where I'm going to be on the Iron Throne and you'll be by my side. That's a little demeaning. That's a little shitty. I don't know if I'd go for that. Also, sure. I feel like she's not totally confident in her ability to lead yet. I, I don't think she's quite there in her own head. Also, is she in a hurry to go back to King's Landing? It like she seem like just it. did yeah. and saw what a fucking brutal wood chipper that thing can be. Like I kind of feel like she wants to be home. Yeah, and she wants to secure the future of her family. So like and she was just talking about how stupid she was to not realize how good she had it here. Right. So yeah. Right. So that. there's like all these reasons swirling, but yeah, I, I feel like those are all valid, good reasons. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, I there's a part of me that thinks that Littlefinger might respect her more for not giving, you know, not taking the offer. I mean, she, she played it beautifully. She didn't reject it. She yeah. didn't try to humiliate them, but she also didn't like just jump at the opportunity. Right. If he, if she had of, he might've put her back into the pawn pile. Yeah, maybe we go over to Benjen North of the wall and he's telling Bran and Mira that he can't go beyond the wall because, Hey, it's magic. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, in a real dick movie, tosses Bran off his horse onto the <laughs> ground and rides off, saying "Good luck." Yeah, have fun carrying like, this tall motherfucker. Right? You really need that horse more than Bran. I saw you struggling with the litter. <laughs> now you got you don't got shit. Have right. fun crawling, kids. 
So uh, hamstrunger. So just, <laughs> <laughs> just one last fuck you to Bran. Off the difficulty. Uh, so Bran grabs the mouth of a weirwood tree and continues his vision at the Tower of Joy, where mm-hmm. we see Ned go up the tower, and inside he finds his sister Lyanna and a baby who turns out to be Jon Snow. That is one. The... If you that was one serious dour brooding baby. <laughs> Like if it you was, had any yeah. doubt, if you had any doubt, they could have put a beard on him. Honestly, like it would have, it would have let me know for sure. <laughs> Just put a beard on that baby, a little top knot. Yeah, <laughs> uh, put him in a leather jerkin. So the big question here is why did they drop the sound out from Leanna telling? Uh, That's a good question. I don't think they wanted to reveal everything in this moment, but I feel like for me they did. See, I feel like that they were trying to, in a very small way, give the show watchers that moment of triumph. Like, if you remember, if you're a book reader and you were, like, super clever and you put these pieces together yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is what all this stuff is pointing to. Or if you're, like, 90% of us, you went on Reddit and saw the threads and, like, oh, okay. Like, yep. there's that's like kind of, like, you know, you, you kind of put it all together. Because even the books don't go out and say... That Jon Snow is the son of Rhaegar and Lyanna. Like this is right. all they talked about a baby from the south. We, and the we we've been ninety. We've we said up. like ninety nine percent sure, but now this is confirmation. Yeah. I feel like it was a way to try to draw that moment to give the show watchers a bit of a like a jaw dropping. Oh shit! This must mean right. So that cut to Jon will be right more effective and it i gotta say the second time i watched it because the first time my head was exploding like yeah. ron paul was in my living room there was lasers shooting from his fingertips he was saying it's happening um when i when i watched this for the second time they nailed this moment like the music that they show when they pan to the baby and then it transitions to john staring right into our eyes with this swelling musical cue yeah like that really really got me going the, even the second time watching it it's just so fucking satisfying. I mean, yeah. and I've only been invested in this thing for like what five years. Uh, I can't imagine if you're a day one Game of Thrones uh, reader. What is it? Twenty years now? You've Jesus. been waiting twenty years, and now <laughs> this is like, yep, oh, we are finally going to dot this I and cross this T. Right. Uh, and I, I guess everyone watching the show now understands what's going on here, right? Like the implication, or not even the implication. The text here is. John is a product of Lyanna uh, Stark, and well, Lyanna. Well, she'd be st- still Stark, I guess. Still Stark so at that point. Okay. That's the thing. Like and when you start, that's why I was trying to get at the instant podcast. Like, what does this really mean? Because number one, John doesn't know this yet. Not yet. Bran so the, does now. Bran yeah. knows it. We think because we're like it maybe is the whisper to I mean, intend unless... to show that maybe Bran doesn't have oh, fully understand the implication of this. I think God. it's done too, but that would be I, I think a waste was, of time. This was a theatrical that. device for the for the audience not for Bran. I imagine Bran standing in the doorway watching this. But you know what does that mean because there's still a lot of details uh you know and that's but I think they're uninteresting because who gives a shit legally what this means. Sure. Like yeah. did did uh, Rhaegar marry Lyanna? Uh, you know, Targaryens do have multiple wives on occasion. That's something they do. Uh, with, Here, did he wait until after uh, Elia was murdered by Gregor Clegane? So he just had the one wife? So is she just, like, legit? Who knows she's legit? 
none of that shit matters because Cersei isn't going to give up the throne to the rightful successor. Like, right. It doesn't fucking matter. The so thing what that matters, matters here is, is that Jon is both ice and fire. Yes. I think and, that's and he's the most a Targaryen, important thing. And what does that mean for his potential, you know, coming into conflict with his aunts? Right. He's not actually a bastard at this point, per- Probably. Possibly. I mean, I mean that's he a, might it, it be. It depends on the fine on the details marriage, right. of. But at the very least, he's the son of the rightful heir to the throne if Robert Baratheon hadn't taken it. Like, there's there's all sorts of, like, implications for this. I mean, which... he does. Like, if you want to go with the succession, he's got the better claim to the throne. Sure. Because Danny was the brother of the firstborn son of the king. Yeah. As as Rhaegar's issue, John is now got the pole position for the throne. But I feel like we talked more... about how that doesn't get that doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. But if you want to, that, that that's what one reading of this situation says. Right. It's it's more tied up in the this, I guess the story structure and the idea of this song of ice and fire yes. and how John may be the fulfillment of a lot of different prophecies that. Up until now, we didn't know for yeah. sure what he could have been. Yeah. Uh, I, I think those are the most important things. It, it, it lends a lot of importance to John as a character. Right. Not necessarily because of his name, sure. but because of his destiny, I guess. Agreed. And it pays off a lot of those, like the, the reason we've been paying so much attention to this you know, boy who became the Lord Commander, who then became right. the Lord of Winterfell, who just then became the King of the North, and who now could be the, the King of all of Westeros. Right. Uh, it's, there's, there's, it's like, a, you know, we don't really know what all this means. And crucially, how is this information going to be distributed to the masses? Or how's it going to get to John? Like, that's the first thing is it's got to get to John. Yeah. Uh, Bran's going to have to be the vehicle, I guess. And that's what, when, well, what you mean, the other person who's at the Tower of Joy is Howland Reed, which we have not seen in the series yet, other right. than his young form who backstabbed, uh, the, the, the Sword of the Morning. Yep. I, the, so I, I thought that's the other thing that made the transition really work is John with the thousand yard stare, looking at these lords squabbling, not being completely ignorant of what his brother, his well, not even his brother, his cousin at this point, I think, I think, yeah, I think so, uh, had just had this just staggering realization about him. Mm-hmm. So cool, and that that's the thing is like if you are plugged into this, and if you watch it for a second time, you automatically are. Because at this point, there's hardly anything that that you don't know as a view, show viewer that you would know as a book reader, right? Um, so let, let's talk about this scene. John yeah. has called together the lords of the north, and they're arguing about whether they should kind of wait out the winter, just sit the battle's over, or whether they believe John that this other battle is coming with the White Walkers. Uh, once again, a, a prettered, naturally mature Lady Mormont stands up and shames one of them, the mannerly guy, into pledging their house to John. And the rest, the the Glovers and everybody else, kind of fall in line, declaring John king in the north. Littlefinger gives Sansa a look that says, well, you missed your chance. So, are you ready to give Lady Mormont her props? I, In what way? So... Okay, I still don't you, buy that play this Koya. little girl is is mature enough to pull this off. But I, I think you're right. But also on the, the fact that they've already introduced her, and I've had a couple uh, of weeks to ruminate. I, for whatever reason, the second scene worked really well, and the fact that she was specifically and knowledgeably, and without her maester there whispering to her ears, calling out to other lords in the north, and then taking it. Right. I feel like some bizarre magic happened to where I suddenly became on board with how badass Lady Mormont was. Okay, so if I can suspend my disbelief for a second, I will say 
it's pretty awesome in the the mechanics of it because there's this little girl standing up in front of these old wise uh rough men yeah. and telling like shaming them like saying look you, we stood we did the hard thing here sure. we stood we won you guys didn't even though that was your pledge not only that but start. you had not just a pledge of honor but what did the boltons do to you right look at all these things they did to you and you fucking were licking their boots yeah and i think the manderly guy had a, a reasonable uh, response for it, but also he realized, yeah, it's a shameful thing I did, and I regret mm-hmm. it, and now I'm going to pledge for their house. Uh, right. So I I do like that that character was able to in this moment shame these fools yeah. uh, into siding with John. I like m- my core problem with it is I just don't believe this little girl could do it. Uh, the other thing, as a book reader, this was a nice nod because you know one of our cherished theories, one of the things that's been giving us hope these last few years, was this theory about the Grand Northern Conspiracy that the mm-hmm. Lords of the North were conspiring to secretly put John the fuck over to Boltons and put John uh, as back on uh, at least as a war- Lord of Winterfell, if not the King of the North. And it, needless to say, didn't go down like we thought it would in the books. Um, which is one of the things I found so shocking about the Umbers and the Karstark's continued betrayal. But they brought in the North remembering and them all declaring the King of the North. So it's like at, by the end, at the end of the day, we rounded into shape where I think that we'll go in the books. Yeah. I was I, I found this very, very satisfying. How long do they shout King in the North? Is it a day? It's, it's, is it a week? Is, do they starve to death shouting King in the North? Well, you know, as as George Martin <laughs> points out, that, you know, the timelines as they are, you can't really, you know, maybe this scene <laughs> took a minute, maybe it took 30 years. Who knows? Right. Uh, but, I, like, how do you extricate yourself from that situation? Well, we're here and we're <laughs> shouting and he's still the King in the North. Well, it's like... I it, don't know what to do, guys. Right, it's <laughs> like that the Austin Powers moment with the where they actually shows the villainous laughter and they just stay there. Right. Like, how does that end? How yeah. does this, this, like, it's... You know, just as it starts dying down, someone, you know, has another tanker to veil and they can't get <laughs> oh, God damn, I thought we were meant to move on. Yeah. Um, or it's like, you know, if they give up after a minute, John's like, oh, oh, just going to get 60 seconds to King North. I heard Rob got three minutes. Uh, <laughs> or it goes too long and he just has to walk out on it. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, guys, I'm done with this. An hour yeah, ago. I, I'm the king now. I have things to do. I have official <laughs> duties. I don't even know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, the other cool thing is, so traditionally with the bastardry of Westeros, uh, perfect example, the Blackfire Targaryens, which are the, the bastards that... Uh, um, uh, what shit, yeah. Aegon the Unworthy sired. Uh, they took for their sigil an uh, inverse of the Targaryen sigil. So black like this, and red? So yeah, so they, they, the, the Targaryen sigil is a red dragon on a black field. The Blackfires were a black dragon on a red field. All right. They called um, they, they, they called Jon Snow the, the White Wolf, and if he was going to stick with the bastard sigil, version of the sigil, the, he would literally be a white wolf on a gray field because the Stark sigil is a gray wolf on a, on a white. That's okay. kind of cool, them calling him the... the and now, the other thing is, he's the king of the north now, so he could, I think, just self-legitimize himself if he wanted to. Fuck all this all bastard right. shit. Sure. He doesn't know he's a Targaryen yet. Like, Oh, that'd be real awkward. You got a three-headed dragon with wolf heads. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly where this is going to go, but I thought that was a couple uh, fun little details, too. Yeah. Uh, so... This Sansa smiling, little finger smirking, and her face falls. The second time I watched this, because I was thinking that Sansa felt like maybe she fell in Littlefinger's esteem, and that made her worried because she, even though she doesn't trust Littlefinger, she does respect him. 
as a player. Okay. Now I'm wondering. I, the second time I saw it, I got a very strong feeling that Sansa is worried because, like, oh, he might, you know, uh, uh, John is the king in the north. I don't know what Littlefinger thinks about that and what he thinks of, of that improving his chances of this picture coming into focus. Is he going to maybe have to take action? Is that, yeah, like is that she's, what you're talking she's about? now yeah. worried for for John, and I yeah, don't know which I don't know which interpretation is more valid, and it might be a mixture of the two. Yeah, I mean, it could also be partially, you know, John. I, I know earlier in this in this episode, John's like, "Hey, we have to trust each other," but I I think she might still be a little worried about that trust because when she went to him in the tent last time, he didn't trust her. Ah, uh, fuck know? that. That's or not. I I don't okay. I don't agree. I uh, I don't agree with that. I feel like that she might betray him. But I don't think he'll ever betray her. She might betray him, but it'll be for a reason that seems right in her eyes. I yeah, I'm I'm over them not trusting each other. Like okay. if Sansa is doesn't shoot straight with John, I'm going to judge her as like, well, this is just a willful act of you fucking your half brother slash cousin over. I already thought about that about the last time she did it. I'm kind of on with you on that. But, uh, okay, let's move on to Jamie and Braun arriving back at King's Landing to see the Sept burning. Jamie rides in just in time to witness Cersei being crowned queen. Uh, is Kyburn the new hand of the queen? Seems did like he he's had, taken over Kevin's role. You know, role. shit, I wish I had looked to see if he had the thing pinned to him. I don't think he did. I was looking for that. I think he's, if anything, he'd be the Grand Maester. You think so? And I wonder if, like... But he's kind of taken over Kevin's role, mostly, hasn't he? Well, but, I mean, he couldn't be Grand Maester, but if he was the Master of Whispers, mm-hmm. which was Varys's role... And he couldn't be the Grand Maester's role because he's not the Grand Maester. And honestly, I don't know if it, you know if it's proper. They would write to the Citadel, and the Citadel would reassign them another Grand Maester. Yeah, uh, I don't think they're doing what's good <laughs> and proper. So, as I've been saying us all podcast, all that shit's uninteresting and dumb. Uh, it's going to be whatever Cersei. But I, 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 I wonder if in one of the early scenes next year we're going to see Cersei try to make Jamie hand again. Okay, uh, I'm a because little worried about how Jamie feels about those glances they're firing. Like I don't know, I don't know what Cersei thinks that Jamie's thinking, and and I'm pretty damn sure that Jamie's thinking this is my worst nightmare. Yeah, I gave up all of my honor, and I've suffered so many insults of of, of like I could have been one of the storied knights. I was the best sword in the kingdom. Yada yada yada. Right. I gave all that up to save the peasants of King's Landing, and now you. Mm-hmm have managed to murder our last child and do the thing that I abhor and gave up my honor for. I don't know what she thinks, Right. Though. I can't even tell if she's acknowledging this in this scene. I mean, I, she might be so into her own thing. The last right. thing they said is, like, you and I are the only things that matter. Sure. I, I think that that Jamie, there was, a like, an asterisk that said, also, don't fucking burn King's Landing. Also, try not to get her children murdered. Yeah. Also, maybe not, like, fucking kidnap and torture people and have... You know, like, there's a whole bunch of things that, like... The writers onto that promise where I think Cersei might just be like, hey, as long as we're together, mm-hmm. you know, we can have more bastard children. And I, I don't know. Yeah. No, it's a, uh, I certainly think there's a difference of opinion there between yeah. the two. And, um, and I, I'm not even sure if both sides understand that. I don't know that Cersei even gets it. And you look at the faces of, I mean, I don't even know what you call them now, the lords, like the minor lords that are left in King's Landing. Like, I don't know how deep the devastation went. Obviously, everyone at the trial seemed like they were on Mace Tyrell and Kevin Lannister's level. Like, who is going to be notable that wasn't there? Mm-hmm. You've got the the small, big folk, 
just with their heads hanged and desultory, long may she reign. Like it was just uh, this. This is Lord. This is Emperor Palpatine coming to power. Yeah. No, and it looks like it. I mean, that all black outfit is menacing for sure. She's a Sith. Uh, so then we go on to Danny's fleet now, uh, which now includes Tyrell, Martell, Greyjoy, Targaryen ships. All nice of job with Tyrell and Martell. You nailed it. Well, it's easy because they're both in there. I don't have to like. <laughs> oh, you don't have to distinguish choose between them, sure. one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they set sail for Westeros, and everybody's in tow: the Unsullied, yep. Dothraki, yep. Uh, Theon, Yara, the dragons, Tyrion. Danny, everybody's there. The dragons. Uh, Varys, so, Varys so is on those boats too. Yep, yeah, yep. so this should be interesting. Yeah, a lot. You know, and again, people are finding fault with the timeline of events. I don't. I don't care. I know. I just don't care. I actually looked it up and I scanned it. Uh, there is okay. a there is a note on chronology in the beginning of I think a Storm of Swords. This is George Martin himself says, A song of ice and fire is told through the eyes of characters who are sometimes hundreds or even thousands of miles apart from one another. Some chapters cover a day, some only an hour. Others might span a fortnight, a month, half a year. With such structure, the narrative cannot be strictly sequential. Sometimes important things are happening simultaneously a thousand leagues apart. And you don't see them simultaneously. Here's the thing. If ever, like, Danny's in Westeros and she says... I need you to go back to Dario, and you. Uh, I, I need Dario to win the battle, and Ver- and and Varys says I'm gonna go get him, and they make it clear that he goes to Marine and gets Dario and brings him back the next day. Mm-hmm. I will be up in arms with the rest of you, but until you can actually say definitively that none of this stuff can happen, and also realize you can sail from bravos to westeros in a day it's only like 150 miles to 250 miles that's easy a day sail depending on how the wind currents are going and whatnot okay like marine might be another four or five days like i varus could have made that trip in two weeks with four or five days to treat with the dornish and the tyrells like and and then you know it also might and people like well then why can't you know brian march well it you know, it, it might take a lot longer to march over land from, than, than you can sail on the sea. Absolutely. I just think that, I like, think I, from here on out, until there's a glaring chronolo- chronological error, yeah. I just don't give a shit about the jetpack bullshit. Same here. Uh, the one thing I do give a shit about, I don't know why. So, like, if I'm, if I'm uh, attending a party or something, and mm-hmm. I'm bringing dragons and I'm bringing ships, I want to make a grand entrance, right? I don't want to just show up and be like, hey, I'm here. Why isn't Draggy, Draggy, Draggy? Danny riding her dragon? And more importantly, for me, why isn't Tyrion riding a dragon? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Uh, well, the, first of all, that's that last one's just wish fulfillment for, I know. for your, you. Um, God damn it. I, yeah, I, I thought that was weird, too. Maybe it's I, uncomfortable to ride a dragon for an entire day. For 150 miles, yeah. You know, the amount of gold bond and all the seven kingdoms to, right. to, to, to satisfy that chafing, but... Um, Got to get Tyrion to build you a saddle. Yeah. And himself while he's at it. Uh, I don't know, because I, I, I thought, sure, once we got a good look at those dragons, you'd see Danny riding on it. I thought so, them. too. Yeah. But I don't, it's more and maybe kinda, when they get closer, she will. Yeah, I don't know. like mount but, up. But it's it's yeah. a bit more regal, I guess, to ride at the head of your pack on, on a ship. Yeah. And maybe they're doing, you know, some planning for their mm-hmm. strategy on the journey. Uh, you know, there there might be some logistics she needs to handle. Which she couldn't do from a dragon. I was cute on the making of Amelia Clark was saying when I got the script, 
and you know, I started reading it, and I got to the scene, and instantly in the, my mind, I started hearing do 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 do, and then when I saw the finished product, it's just like it's like it's exactly how I imagined it would be, right? Um, because you know, it's largely just green screen them sitting, you know, walking on a wood shitty wood boat stage, yeah. But when you see the end results, and you got the music, and it's just, mm-hmm. I said, I think in the preview podcast, I think that you can't get away with anything less than Danny at least leaving for Westeros. And by God, that's exactly what we got. It's right. happening. This is now, we are into the end game of the series. Mm-hmm. We can, I mean, the finish line is in sight, which is kind of bittersweet. Yeah, and that's the thing that felt so satisfying about this episode for me is a lot of the stuff we talked about wanting to happen did happen. Yes. Uh, that King's Landing stuff happened, not exactly the way we wanted, but right. some, in some ways better. Sure. Uh, and, you know, Danny finally getting on the march i think different is almost automatically better unless it's materially worse right unless the ways in which it's different are actually bad yeah yeah uh, then sure i i agree it's it's a little more of a surprise i think i just made a statement that that said nothing i knew what you meant <laughs> yeah okay. i think the listeners did too but, good good uh that's it for the episode uh, uh should be a, a badass opening to season seven i hope yeah i mean from here on out i mean it could just be balls to the wall yeah it's going to be chaos. Since the dawn of time, we've been putting clothes on our back that identify us with our people, our group, our tribe. And why Bald Move might be one of the smallest, weirdest tribes out there, transcending all concepts of border, class, culture, and creed, we still have respect for the old ways. At support.baldmove.com, you can get t-shirts, hats, mugs, and more. We have something for every one of our podcasts, or just wear the four pips of the Bald Move logo with pride. Bald Move merch beats running around naked, and they make a great gift for the Bald Move fan in your life. Join our tribe! Head over to support.baldmove.com and click on merch to start shopping. You've been listening to quite a few Bald Move podcasts now, but you're not in the club? Whoo boy, you are missing out. Not only are all of our premium club podcast feeds completely ad-free, but we have lots of other great content exclusively for people in the club. There's a weekly lunch with Jim and Aaron where we chat with fans about anything and everything from TV and films, food, fun, life advice, and more. But there's also Off the Clock, our premium podcast where we talk about all the shows we don't have time for on our public feeds. Plus, you get access to our full, spoiler-filled, first-run movie reviews of our newly released films. Don't forget Instant Take and Talk Podcast, where we give our hot takes and discuss television shows with our fans live and immediately after the episode airs. With mega shows like House of the Dragon coming this summer, we're going to have lots to talk about. Not to mention access to our fun and friendly community of club members, with exclusive Discord channels and a dedicated forum. It's one of the best places on the internet to hang out and chat about pop culture. Bottom line, you're helping two regular type guys in the Midwest make the content you like to listen to, which some would say is rewarding to itself. Help keep the lights on and the bits flowing at Bald Move. And get some awesome content for yourself. Head to support.baldmove.com to join the club today. try to make it super easy to support making podcasts at Bald Move. Just join the club. 
But some people aren't a joining type, or maybe they're already in the club but want to add a little bit of gratuity for an especially great season of coverage, or for a podcast that really spoke to them or gave them that bit of support in a tough time. For these, and for whatever other reason you might have, our tip jar is always open. Head over to support.baldmove.com and click the donate option to say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. Once again, check out support.baldmove.com for all the great ways to help me and Jim keep making the podcast you love. All right, it's time to pay some bills. We do that in two primary ways. Number one, the club, a club.baldmove.com. This is, uh, you give us, um, you know, two bucks a month or 12 bucks for the entire year. And in return, you get a bunch of extra content, VIP access to forums, ad-free feeds. Uh, Jim cooked us up something a little special. We we rigged up a bunch of cameras in the studio. We set up um, Fantasy Flight's Battles of Westeros, and we reenacted the epic Battle of the Blackwater. In board game form, yeah. Uh, It's like we spent four hours or so playing it. It's condensed down to like roughly two uh-huh. Uh did a fancy little intro and stuff for it with mm. some music and Game of Thrones style intro. I think it's pretty cool. And uh yeah, we're gonna be releasing that next week. So it's only for club members if you guys wanna get in on that. Yeah. Uh, sign up now, sign up sometime next week. Uh if you want to. It's up there. We also have our first run movies. We just watched Independence Day Resurgence last week for the if you want the full spoiler review, you gotta be a club member for that. And again, it, it keeps our lights on and it pays our bills, yeah. and that's the only way we can bring you three high quality Game of Thrones podcasts per week. So if you appreciate what we do and you've enjoyed our season of coverage, and you're looking forward, especially to our rewatch of season one, the only way we can do that is because uh, we get to do this for a living. And you, right, and it's not just you know Game of Thrones season that's important, even if you're a Game of Thrones fan, because yeah. like if. If we don't get sure. support throughout the rest of the year, we yeah. have to quit doing it. It can't this. be a seasonal job, you know? Right. So, like, even if you're only a Game of Thrones fan, it's still important for you to support us because the rest of the year we still have to make a living. We still have to continue producing podcasts. But and- if you are a seasonal fan uh-huh. and you don't want to make the commitment to the club, uh, there's also Amazon, our Amazon affiliate right. link. And it's really easy to use. You just type in Amazon dot baldmove.com it'll redirect you to amazon and for that session only you got to remember to do that every time you buy something for that session only we get a cut of what's in your cart and it doesn't cost you anything there's no it's mm-hmm. not like a sales tax or shipping charge it's just amazon out of the goodness in their hearts gives us a few pennies off your transaction and uh it actually adds up to a lot we get something like a third of our operating revenue from that so that's another great option if you don't want to step up to the club or not interested in the bonus features and you don't want to make a yearly commitment to something you're only into for a couple months uh if you can remember to do that for us we would certainly appreciate it hey uh before we get too far along i want to use our last main podcast non non wrap up non uh rewatch to talk about the rocket city NerdCon that we're going to be uh being a, f- a featured guest for in October, for October 22nd and 23rd, with a special kickoff on Friday 21st at the Yellowhammer Brewing uh, Company. It's a downtown Huntsville at the library location. Uh, you can get passes for the weekend for $25. It's a day pass for 15 uh, As I said, Jim and I are going to be down there. We're going to be doing several different pe- panels and presentations. Uh, we're gonna, we have a, a, a booth we're bringing uh, bringing some some bald move lore with us. Our, our giant Matt Damon face. We're <laughs> right. bringing the coin of destiny. If you got some life decisions, you want to really uh, put some some stock and trade on. You can you can use our uh, fickle coin of fate 
the flip and and uh, just Joe, uh, we'll, we'll have some merch that we're selling. Uh, you want to shake her hand, high five us, whatever. Just admire. Just just look at us. Look look at the wreckage. Look at the human wreckage that we've become. Uh, we're objects of astonishment. Uh, we'll be hanging on there uh, and having a, a good time uh, all weekend long. Check that out. You can go to rocketcitynerdcon.org for more details. Um, and you can also follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, shall That's we get the feedback? Because yeah. we do have a good uh, portion of it. And again, we've still got a spoiler podcast and we still have a wrap-up. So I kind of diverted... Uh, all talk of speculation for next season and predictions and all that stuff. I'm kind of diverting all that to next week. This is just about the finale, goddammit. Uh, Jacob R. said, Could y'all comment on King Rob's Curse? Have you seen that on the internet this last week? Because it kind of blew up. King Rob's Curse. Um, no. uh, Robert Baratheon. Is, is not... that the killing of like how Cersei claims like she killed No, Rob? no, no. no? Uh, supposedly everyone he touched in the very first episode of Game of Thrones is now dead. Oh, God. And the few Stark kids he didn't touch are still alive. Curious to hear y'all's thoughts on the merit or lack thereof. So here's the theory. Uh... When he comes to Winterfell, he gives Ned a big hug. He gives Catelyn a big hug. He he musses um, Rickon's hair, and um, he shakes Rob's hand, and he kind of just gives wave greetings to Bran and Arya and Sansa and Jon. John has been dead. Well, but he, you know, he was a bastard. So the theory right. is like everyone that he touched, all the Starks that he touched are dead. I don't know, because this theory has zero predictive power, unless you're going to say that none right. of the other Starks can die, which, you know, I guess you almost have to get to the end of the episode. I it's, mean, It's a fun observation yes, there, of that's past exactly. events. It has no bearing on anything and, and it will cease to, to become story. fun the, the second another Stark dies, because then it's just, right. well, you're wrong. Yeah. But if this holds true to the end of the series, then it's one of those, like, trivia things that will be like, huh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Kind of cool. Uh, so that's what I think about the merits of it. Uh, Ali S. says, It seems to be taken for granted there's going to be some final battle royale between the population of Westeros and the others, or the Night's King's army. Uh, and this is how the fate of the program is decided. However, looking back at the Battle of Hardhome, I don't think it can be that simple. As we all know, at the end of Hardhome, the Night's King simply raises all the dead back to life to further increase the numbers of his army. It therefore, it seems illogical that a large battle between Westerosi and the others can end in anything apart from the slain being continually revived by the Night King to continue the fight against the forever dim- diminishing armies of men. Sure. It seems that the battle would only increase the other's army, no matter how many of them were killed. This is a problem with zombies. It, indeed. I mean, I, I don't know that... Are people saying that? Like, oh, there's just going to be, they're going to fight them off with sheer numbers? Like, I think for us, I think it's always been Sam needs to figure something out. Okay. They're going to have to take out the White Walkers themselves. Well, this is a neat little twist that I haven't really seen discussed much uh, elsewhere. It could also be argued that the Dragons of Danny will be the deciding factor, but instead of having invested six or seven or eight seasons of time at this point, I think it would feel a little cheated if the battles were the others versus three dragons who simply flew over them, rained down fire, and won. Yeah, it feels a little too easy. Whilst the others stood there helplessly being unable to put up a fight. Right. Instead, I feel we are heading towards a Lord of the Rings, Return of the King-style finale, where although there will be a main battle between the others and the Westerosi, as the main focus of defeating the Night's King, it will be a Frodo and Sam-style covert mission, most probably involving Bran, who has had the most interaction with the Night's King so far. 
In Bran's warg state, when he was grappled by the Night's King, he was walking. Could this mean they will be able to face off, thus giving Bran a purpose for all the seasons of traveling and discovery? Admittedly, this does seem not seem like it would be a long fight, but it does seem like Bran is going to be a key to defending the, defeating the others. I think that Jon and Danny's armies will play the role of Aragorn's final stand in front of the Black Gate. Uh, in parentheses, they speculate the Fallen Wall. While the final covert mission is completed, we all know how much Gurm is inspired by Tolkien, and maybe this is slightly too much of a ripoff, but I do get the feeling that the end of Game of Thrones will not be as simple as one final stand between the others in Westerosi. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I thought this was right on, too. Uh-huh. And it would, I mean... It, I don't know that this is any different from what we've been saying, though. It's just we've applied that to Sam and this uh, is a little def- more than Bran. And, and definitely the prism of seeing through it through the Lord of the Rings, which I think is perfectly valid, because to be honest... Uh, Tolkien, I mean, Gurm has ripped off a lot of J.R.R. Tolkien. Well, I guess he'd be Gert. Yeah. Jert. Ad- admittedly. Gurm has ripped off Jert already quite a bit here. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, everyone does. Like, Tolkien essentially and established much. all modern fantasy. If you're a du- Dungeons right. and Dragons fan, if you're you a fucking Wheel of Time fan, especially Robert Jordan. and dwarves and yes. shit like that in your story. Yeah. You're already biting heavily from Tolkien. Uh, I like that. Yeah, I, I like the idea because there's got to be some misdirection here because it would feel ultimately unsatisfying if they just form up in rows, especially if Car- Danny just carpet bombs them. Yeah, too easy. It's too easy. It's got to be something else. Um, and we don't really know the full power of the, the White Walkers either. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mikey L says, I'm not trying to post this and make it a thing, but I noticed a long claw was glowing when John and the holsters his sword as the horses are charging at him. Take a look at this gift and see for yourself. He includes oh, I a gift. At it. So I got dozens of this. Um, I interesting. I watched a making of, and there's literally a person standing to the right of John with this massive light reflecting panel. <laughs> okay. To ensure that they got this shot, it was just to be cool. Like it's clearly ref- the shiny metal is reflecting the sky or this light panel. As he turns it, so yeah. it does give that kind of nice shimmery, you know. And as soon as he loses the angle, the glow goes away. So exactly, like, it's just light. Now, if you want it's to not interpret light this, from the sword, it's light on the sword. You know, and if you want to, if later on Longclaw becomes like some magic sword, like light, you know, the yeah. the mystical light bringer that's been hinted at in the series, and you want to say like this is foreshadowing, you're fine to do so. But I don't, again, know that this has a lot of predictive value, and you can easily chalk it up as just being a damn cool shot. Yeah. Uh, and that's the way light works when it hits metal. So just want to mention that. So uh, uh, so you'll stop getting emails about it. So I can stop it. hopefully getting emails. <laughs> but no one, no, no one listens to the feedback anyway. So yeah. Uh, Christy H says, I'm not sure if you discussed this theory before, but I was wondering what you thought about the parallels between Sansa and Cersei's stories. Okay. go, Jim. This is the dry yeah. pie you're trying to serve up. <laughs> Cersei mentions in season one or two, I think, that she was a naive and innocent girl when she married King Robert and thought he was this handsome knight who would save her, but it turned out to be a drunk asshole who treated her like shit. This leads us to believe that the monster we meet at the beginning of the series was not born. She was created by the poor treatment she received from her father, uncle, and King Robert. Who knows what kind of benevolent hmm. mother figure hmm. we may have had if people had just been nice to her. I Sad don't face. know. She was a shit from the start to Tyrion. Well, also, and she was a little girl then, not, also, not betrothed. Her, the flashback we saw for her with the yep. witch. She's kind of she's a shit there. You're, she's a you're, shit everywhere. I'm reminded of Cersei telling her son that history will be whatever he makes it, and 
this is the thing is like yes they have humanized her but you always got to take what she says about herself as a grain of with a grain of salt yeah uh however perfectly fine way to analyze this uh, they continue, Christy does, I am wondering, are we seeing the creation of a new Cersei? At the beginning of the series, we meet an innocent lover of knights and chivalry, who at the end, I think, or by the end, I think we'll see a woman very much changed, who knows what all of these dreams, or knows that all of these dreams are childish and silly, and that the best way to survive in this world is to be a master of the Game of Thrones. After all, she's learned at the knees of two of the greatest players of the series, Cersei and Littlefinger. Uh, did you have anything else to compare and contrast Cersei and Zanza with? Uh, yeah, they both kind of took their stature for granted, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Sansa's stuff about sitting under this tree thinking she had yeah. a bullshit life. Right. <laughs> Not realizing, oh, hey, you're one of the most powerful families yeah. In Westeros. Think of all you have and what not what you don't have. Right. And Cersei just taking it for granted that it's always going to be there and that she's got the silver spoon in her mouth. It feels like maybe there's some parallels to draw there. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kayla C. said, on the regular episode cast, she's talking about previous week, you read a note from someone who wanted to highlight the visual similarities between da- Danny's Misha moment and John's climb the air from being stomped on. While I do agree that the visuals seem purposely similar, I'd like to direct your attention to this article where Sapochnik states that the suffocation slash stampede scene was actually an off-script venture when Sapochnik realized they weren't going to finish filming on time. Do you think this means that John's rebirthing shot was not planned or doesn't foreshadow anything in comparison to Danny's Misha scene? So this is interesting. This article, and there's also a little uh, making of on Game of Thrones that says the same tale, but I guess they were getting toward the end, and there was another elaborate battle scene, and Sapochnik wrote to to, to email the Double Ds and said, I don't think I'm going to have time. Here is an alternate idea where we can just film this crowd and John crawling out from underneath it and do some close shots and wrap it up. And the Double Ds said, yes, that's sweet, do it. Yeah. If that's true, then literally this couldn't be an intentional shot to call back to the Misha moment. That wasn't something intended by the, the writers in the writer's room. Right. Maybe not by the writers. I mean, I suppose the director maybe is like, oh, yeah, there was this moment. And, like, and he's kind of a yeah, fan nominally. Yeah. Maybe, but I think I think you're right. It probably doesn't have anything to do with that. On the other hand, you know me, I subscribe to the death of the author. Like, if it's on the screen sure. and it's something you can discuss and make an argument for that it's a perfectly valid interpretation mm-hmm. so make that what you uh, of, of what you will doug d in baltimore uh quick question now that rickon is dead does that not mean that brand is the true heir of winterfell granted he has many other duties being the three-eyed raven but i could see him returning to winterfell to link up the weirwood trees in the garden to aid his work Perhaps he could stay as the Lord of Winterfell as well, or in that capacity, grant Sansa or John that title while he continues his work. You know, he's got an uphill battle against the King of the North. <laughs> and <laughs> like, he, all he's got is mirror to carry him there. Right. <laughs> I mean, you're right. Again, you're absolutely right. Bran is, uh, by any measure, the rightful heir to Winterfell. Because he's a but full how Stark. Do the he lords, is not a Targaryen. Yeah, how do the Lords of the North see it? Sure. Are they going to follow John, or will they be he's a happy boy that, following Bran? He's a weird boy that can't walk and likes to talk to trees, whereas John is a proven on the battlefield commander. Right. Um, I don't know. It's The other thing is, like, what do the Lords of the North think if they find out that Der- John is a Targaryen? I mean, he's still got Ned Stark's blood flowing through him, because, yeah. you know, to, to the extent that Lyanna was a true blood Stark, and she was, 
Um, pretty right. pretty badass one at that. Um, so yeah, but there again, this is this is a bunch of secession stuff that doesn't matter a hill of, hill of beans in the the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kristen essay said there was a line in Battle of the Bastards I think that can be described as the theme that Germ is driving home with the series. When Yara and Danny are talking about their fathers and how they weren't great guys and how it's up to them to decide how to make the world a different place, to me, that line from Daenerys summed up the entire point of the show. When the show starts, they're all children. Their parents are running the world but are a sort of driving it into the ground. They're deeply flawed, driven mad, fatally naive, idiotically stubborn. Pick your poison. All the kids have had to grow up fast in this world and contend with their parents' legacies. Will Danny go mad like her father? Will Yara be a leader like Balin? Will Sansa be smarter than her father? Will she have to deal with the love Littlefinger has shifted from her mother over to her? The whole show is about parents and children and how fraught things are as the children get older and have to deal with the baggage their parents have left them. I don't think Germ has to intend this as a specific allegory for nukes or climate change or the national debt, what have you. The idea that there's this huge looming threat and a mess that one generation makes that another generation cleans up is timeless. Mm-hmm. When Danny said that line to Yara, for me, that was a 15-second summary of what the show is about. It's gotten buried in the spectacle of the episode, but to me, it was the most important moment. Thoughts? Uh, that's a good analysis. I like it. I think so, too. <laughs> like, it's another I don't way, if you don't want to deep and make it all about an allegory, I, th- I thought that was a nice, uh, a lighter, refreshing take as well. D.H. says, in the pre-battle meeting between John and Ramsay in their seconds, what's holding John back from just killing Ramsay then and there? Honor? Even with Lady Mormont and Sands in the crowd, John's men are better at battle than Ramsay's contingent. Killing Ramsay means that Rickon likely lives. Who else would kill the presumptive Lord Stark but Ramsay? Less of a battle if there was one, and no little finger demanding favors of Sansa, no dead one one, who should have been a second just for sheer intimidation factor. If the answer is honor, how that st- is that still possible after the Red Wedding? Isn't Ramsay an usurper who John could execute as of right? So, yeah, I, mean, I mean, it's just rules of engagement. That's I mean, the it's thing. Like, like, just because someone violated guest right doesn't mean that envoys aren't sacrosanct. And right. think about, like, if play that out in if you... If everyone follows rules, you just have an anarchy. Like these yeah. rules are put in place to minimize bloodshed and senseless loss of life. Yeah, and also that even if you know John could have gone the rule of Ramsay and violated it, what is Lady Mormont going to think? What are what is uh, Tormund who veer, veer, feels very strongly that you give your word on something and you uh, agree to observe something uh, and hold it sacred that that's what you got to kind of do with. It's... You have to look at this as more sport than anything. Yeah. I mean, war, especially in those times, I think was uh, in a large part sport. I mean, it was a competition. There were rules and there was honor involved. And it's not just like might completely might makes right. And if we can backstab you and kill you, we're going to in any yeah. occasion. It was more like we have an agreement between everyone involved in this game and that's how we're going to play it and that's the thing like you can violate that and that is a huge competitive advantage if you're willing to cheat right but look how it turned out for the phrase and boltons sure you know uh both the uh, lord bolton fostered an environment where his his bastard son was legitimized bastard son and some of the minor lords of the land could conspire against him and kill him just cause yeah and there was no repercussions and no one thought that was wrong because you know how can you how can you judge something as wrong in a post red wedding world uh-huh. you know that's the trap you always fall into like there are good reasons for having 
dip- diplomatic immunity, etc. Um, so I, yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, yeah, I yeah mean, he absolutely could have killed him there. Just get an archer with the fucking bow. And... But that that's from all of society. Like, why isn't the yeah. biggest and strongest of us just take everything what they want? Why do we have laws? Why can't right. the biggest and strongest rape and murder and whoever they want? Yeah, well, and this is not a lawless land entirely. I mean, yes, exactly. It's not anarchy. There is a rule of law. You just yeah. got to – sometimes those are bent and sometimes they're broken. Yeah. But those people usually pay consequences. Sure. Pay prices. And they've already, like by this episode, paid severely. Yeah. Uh, Anne M.B. said, Lots of references to John's stupidity on your last podcast, but just to jump on the bandwagon, I think engaging in this battle was the stupidest move of all. John made peace with the Wildlings because he knew he needed numbers to fight the ultimate war against the White Walkers. Why then would he risk all of his limited troops to fight Ramsay for Winterfell? Ramsay has no heirs, so overtaking the territory for the Starks only required the bastard to die, as John pointed out pre-battle. I thought the Starks threw their, uh, knew their home inside out. Couldn't they have found a more efficient way to knock Ramsay down? Yeah, maybe so. I mean, I, I think the big thing here is they needed Winterfell to make the stand. It wasn't about yes. killing Ramsay. It wasn't about, like... We need troops to fight the White Walkers. We need this location. Yeah, winter's coming. We are all going to freeze and starve and be hunted down like animals unless we have this bastion of the North. Yeah. Uh, And it also serves to unite the North. You know, that's the other piece of the puzzle there is they need a united force. They don't have it currently, and the only way to get that is to take back Winterfell. And the other thing is, like, I feel like, you know, I kind of dropped this knowledge earlier in the podcast, but Winterfell serves as this beacon of hope during the long winters to come. I don't have any confidence that Ramsay would treat the small folk just trying to huddle outside the walls of Winterfell with no. any kind of anything. Yeah. Like, you could literally have a soft genocide in the north just by this fucker feeding his dogs before he feeds the people. Yeah. Um, and that's that's pretty brutal. Uh, I mean, like that, I can't undersell how brutal the winter is for the northerners. Like, they have a tradition of, like, a lot of the old folk... If, like, things get really bad, they'll just start leaving the homes and castles and they'll say, I'm going off for a walk or I'm going to go hunting. And they so that just, others can eat. Just just yeah. like, you know, I'm 67 years old. I'm going to go out and freeze to death so that the other I don't I'm not one more mouth to feed. Like, yeah. they're just so really children br- can make it really sure. brutal and pragmatic about it because they have to be right. like 200 feet snowdrifts, <laughs> no food. Uh, everything freezing and dying and like everything the old Nan scared Bran about in the first season, like that literally uh-huh. happens every every once in a while. And she's seen it. She knows. Yeah. So I don't I don't trust Ramsay as the Lord of Winterfell looking after the, no. the people. No. Uh so it was a is a battle of survival is my interpretation there, Anne. Zach L said, I believe Arya killed Jamie in order to infiltrate King's Landing and cross Cersei off of her list. What? Okay. The girl at the feet. Uh, this is a crazy theory, <laughs> conspiracy but theory. There here. was two or three people suggested that Zach's the first. Okay. The girl at the feast was eyeing Jamie the whole time, and when Jamie never spoke after leaving the twins, I believe Cersei's the only person remaining on Arya's list, making King's Landing her likely destination upon returning to Winterfell. What do you guys think? I don't know why Arya Stark. So Arya Stark killing Jamie is a moment you put on camera. That's my number one rationalization. I would hope so. Uh, B, is Bronn not going to be able to tell that this is Arya Stark versus Jamie fucking Lannister riding with him back to King's Landing the whole way? You would think. Uh, The other thing is, why does Jamie look so worried when he pulls up to King's Landing and sees a sept burning? You're right. Like why? What are these knowing glances at Cersei? Arya would be glad the Sept is destroyed because that's the place where her father was executed. I, I mean, maybe you just want to say, oh, she's putting on an act for Bronn. Sure. So Bronn doesn't 
No, it's not him. Like uh, she, she took act- acting lessons from Lady Crane as she was kind of left. Right. Uh, I don't. I don't think that's the case. Yeah. I suppose there's nothing to say that it hasn't happened, but right. I'm not sure about. I, that. I would not. I would not bet Vegas any kind of Vegas odds. Yeah. Uh, and any kind of Vegas money on on this, though, Zach. <laughs> uh, moving on to Joe F. So Danny is newly single, and we're just reminding this episode that Jamie loves those blondes. Now that Cersei has led to the death of his son and Walter Frey has made him question who he had been aligning himself with, do you think there's any chance that we might see Jamie and Danny getting together next season? The only problem is I don't know what Danny would get out of it, but there's also that small detail uh, of about Jamie killing her father, but you never know. I mean, what Danny would get out of it is a, an alliance with one of the most powerful remaining houses that she's already not allied with. Biggest army in Westeros, yeah. right? I mean, if if Jamie takes out, she's Cersei got the Martells, the Tyrells, the Lannisters. Like, th- I mean, that's half the Seven Kingdoms it, right there. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, arguably the greater half. Yeah. So that's not nothing. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, uh, Jamie she- literally killed her father. The Lannisters are also the mortal enemy of the Tyrells and Martells at this point. Uh huh. So and the that. Starks. Like I'm wondering, like, does sure. that create a battle between the North again and and King's Landing well, and I Danny? Mean, like, you know, it goes back to what or is, is John a little more level headed than than all that? This goes back to what is this story about? Is this story about the Song of Ice and Fire? Is it a song? Does that does that imply ice versus fire? Right. Does that mean ice working with fire? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know. Sure. We don't know. I mean, when Tyrion tells Danny that the, this guy's not the first to love you, won't be the last, my first thought was Jon Snow, because mm-hmm. that's kind of how I've been conditioned to think about these things for uh, of, of several years. Um, yeah. You know, that she's keeping herself open to a marriage alliance. Well, you know, Jon's got the entire North Zone up. Mm-hmm. So if, if she gets the North, then she literally has the entire... Because cause the North has the... I mean, I, I don't know what Littlefinger's going to do with his... But assuming he keeps the Lord of the Vale... Right. The Lords of the Vale, um, then it's literally everyone versus... Everyone versus the the, the Lannisters. Yeah. Because I forgot, we also... She's, Danny's also got the Greyjoys. Right. Yeah, they're all on board. So, yeah. There's, there's, there's pros and cons there. I mean, if we're talking about Jamie's blondes, though, I want to go to Brienne. Come on. <sighs> Come on. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, once Cersei's out of the picture, Brienne's got a wide open... That's true. Uh, she got the right hair she's color got, and everything. Yeah, she can make a run at it. Damn it. I'm doing. I'm really falling down on my shipping. As long as Sansa will let her, right? I mean, that's that might be the problem there. Right. Right. So. Do I have my leave to bone Jamie, <laughs> my lady? No, no, to... I don't like Jamie. <laughs> but I do, my lady. Um, back in five... What was the Sparrows not allowing Marjorie to lead the Sept? Did High Sparrow know something was about to happen? He seems like the type to martyr himself and more likely would have no problems taking his followers with him. I can't think of a reason other than that as to why he wouldn't let anyone else leave. I mean, we talked about our reason. I guess if you wanted to think that, oh, I think Marjorie's right and I want to be a martyr. To me, it, it read more of, I am supremely confident that I have control over this situation. By the time I started having second thoughts, yeah. the Sept is already rumbling. And again... Uh-huh. I don't think anyone saw how quick that thing was going to go up. Nope. Holy shit. By the time you felt the rumble, you were a second away from being incinerated. Right. I guess I'll I'll run with this a little bit and say if you think the Sept was willing or the the High Septon was willing to become a martyr for the cause, you have to really think he had faith in the people to turn against Cersei. 
And, you know, so far we haven't seen that. She's been crowned. The A lot of the people were in attendance at that crowning ceremony. Plus, I think I, he fell in love with his own narrative. Like, he I might have so. started off yeah. as a humble guy running a soup kitchen, but that guy getting the seven septons ready yeah. and, and licking his chops at, at Judge and Lancel and Cersei is not that same guy. No, I not think, at all. I think he's doing the things because it feels good. Uh, Eric E said, I'm sure you guys were happy to see the repeated mentions of wildfire come to fruition, and I'll admit the explosion was a sight to see, but I'd much rather seen the High Sparrow hoisted on his own petard and accused of the very crimes against gods uh, that he... <laughs> Who was... would be accusing him of that, though? How... Like, he's the High Septon. I mean, if Cersei, like, beat all of the Sparrow and, like, and threw him in his cell and put him on trial, like, it could happen, for sure. But he's the final arbiter. Like, I... Not if he's... Can the Pope, like, say, I like have some of his cardinals or bishops or something say that he's in the wrong? You I don't know, think it can go down that way. I know the king has to appoint the High Septon, or has to ordain that office, okay. but I don't know if the High Septon serves at the king's pleasure. Like, can he be set aside? Hmm. I mean, he'd certainly be murdered, but I, I don't know. <laughs> Right, uh, obviously. Eric's opinion is that wildfire was too easy of a punishment, and there is far too much collateral damage, especially with Queen Marjorie, especially when you compare it to the incredibly satisfying scene of Arya killing Lord Frey. I don't think that so was collateral damage. I think that was intentional damage. I just think he likes Queen Marjorie and didn't want to see her die. Like, okay, that's he, fair. He's like, I didn't you want either. To take, if you want to take, and, but the thing is, I don't think you're looking at it from Cersei's perspective. From right. Cersei's perspective, Marjorie absolutely is one of those that had to go. Yep. Kevin, one of those that had to go. Mace Tyrell's an idiot. Why not have him go? Lancel, mm-hmm. like, top to bottom, everyone, everyone. dies there is yeah. people that she could give two shits about. Mm-hmm. They were the people that were tittering about her when she got shoved to the gallery. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I was totally satisfied by it. Any mm-hmm. particular reason why they made a special effort to kill Grand Meister Pycelle? Because wouldn't he have gone to the trial anyway? Uh, it seemed like that's where he was headed. He was getting dressed. He was on his way out. Uh, and then a birdie came up. I don't... I don't know. Maybe Kyburn just had a personal grudge. I think it was just because there that there is a moment in the books that takes place between different characters, but it's that exact moment hmm. with that exact dialogue. And I feel like the Double Ds just wanted to remix that awesome scene in there. So just give him a particular fuck you in particular yeah. uh, part of a plot. Uh, plus it felt that like it gives Kyburn a little bit of an arc. Like, this Grand Maester has been talking shit about him and him being a disgraced maester and being stripped of his chains and this, that, and the other this whole time. And he's... Uh, I, I felt there was a little bit of irony in the I, do, I bear you no ill will. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have to because I'm about to kill you. And not even me, these children. Oh, yeah. Man, we didn't really talk about the whole children of the corn, like how creepy it was. That, I ain't nothing creepier... Uh, than an army of children with knives coming at you, and they right. last season of American Horror really worked worked that in there too. Like, right. I, what do you do? You got thirty children with knives. Like, yeah, you can start whomping as many asses as you can, but it's just a matter of time, man. That's yeah. horrifying. Mm-hmm. God damn! How much? How much? How many sweets? How many sweets changed hands? How many Werther's originals? All of them. <laughs> All the Werther's. All the original ones. Now it's it's Werther's backup <laughs> Werther's supply. Re- I don't know. Replica. Like, yeah. Uh, Kevin V. After the reveal that Leanna and Rhaegar's baby is indeed Jon Snow, I still have but one question. The way the show editing the shots revealed to us, the audience, but I wonder if and how it was revealed to Bran that he was green seeing, or as he was green seeing. Right. 
Do we assume that he continued with the visions and watched the baby grow up to be John, or yep. do we just assume that that was enough for Bran to figure it out on his own? Put it this way: If we didn't have the fade into adult John Snow's face, we wouldn't def- couldn't definitively say that the baby was him either. I don't know that that's true. Actually, I agree because uh, we Bran that- has heard the story of John's, you know, com- coming to Winterfell. Yep. Uh, we know that much. And then if you hear the whispering that happens here, yeah, she says like Rob will certainly like if Rob finds out, he'll mm-hmm. implied kill him. Yep. Uh, and she says, protect him, please promise me that. Like, And Ned comes back from the war with a bastard. Right. I And that bastard is Jon Snow. So, yeah. like, grows up to be Jon Snow. So I think Bran probably knows enough. If he's standing in that doorway and yeah. hearing these whispers, I think he probably knows enough. And, and again, I, I took the whisper as that's something for us, the audience, not necessarily from Bran's point of view. It was a weird, I mean, that's the I, one. I don't know where Bran is at that point. Is he in the doorway? Is he climbing like, the what stairs? What does that even fucking like, mean? Does he actually, is he like a camera in this vision or is this, he's right. He's so like it's a, a fair um, question. Yeah. Like it's for sure. For I, sure. It I needs just, to be asked. I just don't know that it's a super compelling one for me. Right. Cause I, cause I am a viewer, you know? Yeah. And now I know this stuff. Uh, Vicky wants to complain about the show suddenly lacking subtlety. Uh, I wasn't a book reader, so after Ned was beheaded and I started to realize that no one was safe in this show, I actively avoided all spoilers. The internet largely cooperated, and I was able to do so for quite some time. Joffrey's death? What the fuck? The Red mm-hmm. Wedding? Holy motherfucking shit. <laughs> this season, though, John comes back to life? Eh, saw it coming. Knights of the Vale swooping in? What ofs? Internet put those pieces together yeah. handily. Wildfire? The Double Ds telegraphed that one for weeks. With fan theories being so much in the ether this season that they were very and being very hard to avoid, and so many of them being dead on balls accurate, I am wondering: Did the double D's lack some subtlety with major plot points, or have they always been this obvious? And I wasn't paying as much attention. Lastly, wondering just how many sugar plums it cost to put a hit out on the Grand Maester. It's, it's Werther's original, and I don't yeah. know what the conversion rate yeah. between sugar plums and Werther's are, but all it's, of them. It's at least two for one uh, <laughs> sugar plums to. Werther's, right? I mean, Werther's better. Come on. Well, that was before the Drexit when Dorne declared their independence right. from Westeros. Now like, the now Werther's, the are hard Werther's to get. just crashed and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> can't have sugar plums for any price. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> is, so, this show, the question is this show now lacking subtlety? Or, right. as my theory is, we're towards the end of the train tracks yeah. and there's only so many destinations we can go. Right. And the best right. you can hope for is minor details like Cersei sitting the Iron Throne and and like but I mean you know like is it is it predictable that the uh the White Walkers are going to be defeated because 99 99% of the time they're gonna yeah. unless you know that's like the question we always ask what is Martin playing at mm-hmm. if if he's going to tell this a really bummer of a kick in the crotch kind of story no it's fair i mean I, I think your analogy is a good one about the train coming to fewer and fewer stops as it goes down the tracks. It's just an inevitable conclusion to a story that has to have a climax. I yeah. mean, there 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 must be a climax, and the pieces before it must in must inform that climax. And if you can look at those pieces in the right ways, which the internet is great at, yeah, then you're going to see the outcome of it. 
I mean, I think before you read the first page of the first story, there's a li- literally an infinite possibility right. of what this this could be set in space. Right. You it's have like lightsabers. Your life. You could, could be, be anything about, when you're yeah, a child. Yeah, it could be about be ghosts. But after the first book, it's like, okay, well, this is going to be the story of the Starks and the Lannisters and 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 the, there's great war and each successive brick is another one in the wall that becomes your expectations and yeah, un- those possibilities the only the, narrow the universe yeah. and yeah they they have to they right. have to the only way they they the only way they wouldn't is if this is a serial that would go on forever like yeah. you know like a soap prince, opera like a soap opera yeah. prince valiant or something like that mm-hmm. like that's the only way that you can have infinite possibilities forever yeah. but if you're going to tell a tale Eventually, it all has to come into some sort of singularity and and finish. So I think the answer is yes. It is becoming less subtle and more predictable. Right. But that's a necessity of storytelling. But that's also is like I feel like that at some point, and I don't know, maybe people can't make this transition, but the infinite possibility turns into the satisfaction of watching like a a really intricate clockwork, you know, come together. Yeah. Like and Absolutely. that's the thing. Like he's put this music box together and wound it up, and that was the tension. Mm-hmm. Now, are you going to stick around to see what music it plays, or are you going to be like, "Well, fuck! I know it's going to play music, so I'm out." And, right. And that's like and, I don't. And, that's not. I'm not going to make a moral judgment on that. Like there, sure. Some people only like the beginnings of things, and <laughs> some people right. like only like the ends of things. So who knows? Yeah, but it's you know it's also like why we, I guess admire people who can kind of put these pieces together before sure the fact it's and why the they get the internet points it's, for it's, doing it's it, why we we admire the uh the lindelofs and the the wieners and the uh villigans among us that can keep us guessing until the end right yeah. but having said that like breaking bad there was there were inevitable conclusions there. you knew right. like most you like what well, there was a finite set of possibilities of four or five things that could happen pick one right and if you can put a twist on that surprises, that's all you can ask. The cherry on top of one of five Sundays that you knew you were going to get. Yeah. Uh, Connor O.B. said, did the Vale just swear fealty to the King of the North? I noticed Jan Royce in the crowd speaking shortly before Little Mormont made her declaration. Then all the swords go up with the King of the North chanting. No wonder Littlefinger was off in the side brooding. Jon just took his entire fucking force. Thoughts? I tried rewinding it, and I did not see Royce in the crowd with the sword up. Um, another he notable d- right, holdout. he did have that big objection yes. at the beginning, but I d- like I don't know that me, I saw. Him I after don't that. even know that he has the authority to fall because this it's is not Robin. his lord. Yeah, he like Robin would have to swear fealty. So I don't think so. So it still it ultimately be, comes down to who has control of Robin. It would be most irregular if right. he was to throw in with John. Uh, so yeah, yeah. And, I I don't know. And there again, they can all just be like, you know what, the sweet Robin and Littlefinger shit, Hinky. Uh, I, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he did undercut them. But then I don't know what John would think of that. I think John would think that was treacherous and dastardly. If oh, Ron Joyce is like, the knights. Yeah, yeah, this guy's threatened me to chuck me out the moon door every time I'm trying to do my goddamn job as a protector of the veil. So I'm gonna go to John and be like, hey, I'll pledge my house to you. If you'll give me protection from these goofballs, I think John executes him as a traitor. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I still think Littlefinger is not ready to pledge. You know, whatever control he has over Robin, he's kind of pulling the strings here. Yes, I don't think he's yet ready to pledge for John. Yeah, I think he did in that moment because it was advantageous for him. He definitely pledged for this support for the Starks, but that's not the same thing as right recognizing him as king. Yeah, 
Uh, I don't think. Like again, this they could sew this up and make it certain, but I, I think we're to intend that this is a bit of Littlefinger having some wiggle room. Yeah. Uh, Jason said, I thought you made an interesting point in your instant cast about Danny not being ready for being a queen back in season two. You described this whole Marine situation as her graduate program, which got me wondering, how did she fare? If you were her professors and had to give her a grade based on how she did in the Marine Queen training course, what grade would you give her? Bad. I think she did real bad. I think she has dragons, and I'm going to give her an A+, plus because I don't want to get burnt to death. So that would mean she's doing it really well. <laughs> <laughs> right, so I I think she failed in Marine. What she didn't fail at is amassing the forces, but she kind of stumbled into all that. I mean, the the dragon eggs were a gift. You know, it wasn't like she went out and sought those and said this will secure my power. Mm. Uh, the Dothraki were a fucking gift. She ended up like stumbling into an area where the Dothraki were, got captured, taken back to whatever Vase Dothraki or something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then she did her stuff. But it was kind of a happy accident. I just, she did not do very well in Marine itself, so I'm wondering about her leadership. Like, her conquering abilities, fine. Yeah. Those are good. Those are on point. But her leadership abilities, I'm not sure, which is really good that she has Tyrion by her side. And Varys at this point. Sure. Uh, man, we are we are at the two-hour mark already. Holy cow. Got a lot more? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, I do. All right. Yeah, let's I do. do some rapid fire. I'm trying to get us into, um, uh, into uh, lightning mode here. Uh, Virgilio V says, I don't know if you caught this during the Frey pie scene, but Arya says, my lord, the first time when addressing Lord Frey, but changes it to my lord the second and third time. Great callback to her conversations with Tywin. Right. Uh, astute. Melody from OKC said, a very small thing and probably insignificant at this point, but are you guys disappointed Marjorie died before we, the viewers, could learn what plan she had under her belt? I feel like we discussed this. Yeah, not super disappointed. Because right. it was badass. I mean, yes, I would have loved to see an alternate universe where she handed a high sparrow his ass without getting burnt to a crisp. But I don't think that was her plan. I think it was to get out. Yeah. Uh, Ryan from Kitchener said, uh, The one scene I didn't see coming was my favorite of the season, that Cersei being crowned queen. It wasn't the fact that no one cheered. It wasn't the look in Cersei's eyes. It was Jamie and everything about this that was perfect. Yeah. Jamie had risked everything when he killed the Mad King in order to stop him from using wildfire, and he'd taken on the insults and supposed shame all of his life, sacrificed his honor, but in one moment all that was for nothing, and he is now looking down at the ghost of the Mad King. In that moment, his Cer- love for Cersei is broken. In that moment, everything he fought for was lost. It was thematic and in storytelling perfection, and he didn't have to say a word. Yeah, and we have talked, you know, in the spoiler cast a little bit about this, and that was kind of one of our predictions was, you know, Jamie was not going to be happy with the results here in King's Landing when he left. A little bit of love lost. No yeah. love, no, there's love lost. Definitely love to be lost. Tom says, is it safe to say that Miguel Sapochnik should just direct all remaining episodes of Game of Thrones? From the first moment of Winds of Winter, you knew the episode was going to have a dramatically different tone and feel than Battle of the Bastards. Mm -hmm. So much so that I had to go back and see who directed it because I just couldn't possibly have been Sapochnik. As you mentioned, Instant Take, the visuals are simply stunning. The musical tones link perfectly. And just everything about the episode hit an emotional place in our hearts. I mean, historically, I've been a big David Nutter, Alan Taylor, Michelle McLaren fan. But I feel yeah. like they've all had their, like, you know, Michelle McLaren has been the action director, and Alan Taylor has mm-hmm. been the guy who's got the the more quiet scheming and character moments. But is this a passionate guy, like, all things to all people? Can he do it all? I mean, it really feels like it. There were a couple of shots that I didn't talk about that were really well framed, in my opinion. Like, yeah. that 
I mean, even in Dorne, like that shot of like over that little pool there, just yeah. kind of pulling in toward the conversation. Yeah. I really loved. Just like a lot of really cool stuff. Now, realistically, he'd have to clone himself six times because they're right. just not. They shoot simultaneously and, and like in all, all corners of the globe. Yeah. There's there's just no fucking way. Mm-hmm. But you you definitely have my vote if it was possible to have a time machine or a cloning device. And that's, you know, that's, again, that's not talking shit about the other guys. Like, I just been really impressed with his two episodes. Yeah. And even Hard Home. Uh, Doug L. said, after this whirlwind episode, rather, I noticed a pattern beginning to emerge. Virtually all the major houses are left without a future in terms of succession. The Lannisters now have zero children. It's not clear if Cersei could still produce an heir if she wanted to. Oh, I think she could. Danny may take, I mean, she's in her late 30s. It's iffy. It's iffy, but... Especially, there's no, like, in yeah. vitro shit going right. on at the time. Uh, there's no seed to the strong left. She like, she might need to cut down on the drinking a little bit to <laughs> to have a shot at it. But. Uh, those eggs might be expired, man. Maybe. maybe. Uh, Danny may have the Iron Throne, but she is infertile. All the Tyrells except Olena are dead, and she makes a specific point that her future was taken away. All the Baratheons are gone. There are other Martells in the books, but for the show, it appears that line two is dead with the stabbing of Dorne and his son. The only legitimate Greyjoy heir is Theon, and he obviously cannot produce, reproduce. The last male Stark is Bran, and it's not clear whether he could reproduce in his condition either. I think this is the beginning to reveal a picture of Martin's endgame with all the major houses' lines running out. The story ends not just with the defeat of the White Walkers, but with the entire social order changing in some significant way. Your thoughts? Hey, does Danny want to break the wheel or doesn't she? She said she did. Seems like she's getting a lot of assist from Fate and Kyburn and Varys, but... Yeah, like it, like this parliamentary monarchy might be a thing be, out of necessity because there's no lords to kind of like scheme and take the place. Can we talk about Jon Snow and the status of his body? Like, oh yeah, what what kind of abomination is he? Did the Lord can of, he reproduce? He's he, a dead he, man. Like, is his sperm viable? Is what you're trying to ask? Does, does he age? Like, could he get on the Iron Throne and literally rule forever because he never dies? It like, seems like he can die again, but no one really knows. He right. said, "If I fall on the battlefield, bring me. Don't bring me back." But but does he age? He's a, that's like, true. Does he have to be killed, or will he just die? And, and like we we talked about, like those vicious stab wounds in his chest didn't go away. Like nope. it, it could be that he doesn't even need to breathe anymore. Right. Yeah. That's Which I. I have no fucking idea what John looks like on the inside, but it's got to be into, weird. You know, if it eventually turn into Benjamin looking. Maybe his hands are going to get black and his face all mottled. Uh, Callie from Minnesota said uh, when Littlefinger was talking about Sansa's claim to Winterfell, he Winterfell. He mentions she has more right than some bastard born in the South. Sansa didn't have much reaction to it, but knowing how Littlefinger operates, not to mention his little smirk last season when talking to Sansa about Rhaegar and Lyanna down in the crypts, leads me to believe that Littlefinger somehow knows that Jon is the son of Rhaegar and Lyanna. What this means, I don't know, but I find it interesting. It's curious if you have any thoughts on A, what he might do with that knowledge, or B, how is Jon going to find out his parentage? We talked about the latter. The former... So John being a bastard born in the South is just a absolute true statement. Right. Ed, everyone knows that Ned went down and he fought at uh, the uh, the Trident. He fought in King's Landing, and then he fought at the Tower of Joy in this famous battle down south. And he came back to the North with a bastard. So 
he that had to happen down south. Mm-hmm. However, you're right about this significant look that uh, he was shooting her down in the crypts. And we speculate on a spoiler podcast that maybe Littlefinger somehow has tripped across this knowledge. I have no idea how he right. would use it. I mean, if it does, his play to get Sansa on board with him might be you know, even more self-serving. He's a Targaryen. Like, if he knows that Jon has this kind of rightful claim to the throne... It's a threat to him. It's a threat to him being on the throne. He might want to eliminate that in the womb, sort of. And it's also something he can exploit to wedge the distrust between Sansa and Jon that still seems like it's something that's at least there in in, in some form. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah. Good observation, though. Joe from New York said, One thing I want to offer is how Danny and Cersei have become mirror images of each other. Two blonde-haired queens always having a connection with their three children, but now they're mirrors of each other in the same way that John and Ramsay once were. Like Danny, Cersei rose from a maligned outcast to the role of Queen's Hand. Uh, like Danny, Cersei seems to have been alienated to... Oh, wait. Seems to have alienated the man who's devoted to her. And finally, like Danny, Cersei has used fire to ra- rise to power. The thing that despite all this bloodshed, Danny ultimately has found power by unifying and inspiring people. I actually was surprised that you guys didn't make a bigger deal about her offhand comment about letting Marine elect its official uh, leaders from now on. Why didn't I make a bigger deal from that? Because that's essentially, Aaron, you're right. I am right. going to set up some form of democracy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why we didn't talk about that. You know, it seems important. Because I don't care. I mean, I just don't. You don't care about Marine. I you don't just, care about no, the no, slaves. No, no, no. I don't care about internet points and being right. Oh, okay. like I I like speculating I and I like planning, <laughs> but I don't like this. There's been many times where I've forgotten that I made a ra- accurate prediction, and people congratulate. And I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I did say that. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of rolled off of my. There, there's so many other things to notice, but uh, Cersei, on the other hand, rules from terror. Effectively, they're mirrors of each other in the exact same way that John and Ramsay were because the exact same differences exist between them. There is one thing that's not reflected in them, though, and that is the mountain. Danny is now heading to Westeros as the Lord of Light-approved ruler. It seems quite possible that the Brotherhood of That Banners might actually throw their support behind her when she arrives. And who is currently rolling with the Brotherhood of That Banners? Could the battle between the Hound and the Mountain actually be them fighting for the respect of Fire Queens? Looks like the Clegane Bowl's back on the menu, boys. What are you going to do? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd still struggle to see how they'll all hook up, but okay. The, the, they are coming the to the same The hound came back continent. from the dead for a goddamn reason. You're right. You're right. I don't think they're going to leave that where it is. So there you go. There's the two champions. We we sold the Clegane Bowl short. No mere trial. This is going to be all out war. No holds barred. Right. Steel cage match. Foreign objects. The works. Andrew E. says, given the structures hanging in the library look so much like the spear thingy that floats above the map in the opening credits, are we heading towards Sam being unveiled as a storyteller behind the Song of Ice and Fire? I Is Sam essentially Gurm? So he's yeah. a, he's the Frodo uh, right. in, in Lord of the Rings. I suppose so. I No reason it couldn't be him. Sure. Uh, Alan also uh, emailed me and informed me that these devices are called armillary spheres. Any kind of clockwork representation of a solar system—they're called our—they're—they're they're actually a Man. real thing, and they're called our millery spheres. Huh. I've heard that term before and didn't know what it meant. Okay, I didn't either. And cool. I guess there's two types: there's a uh, um, uh, 
Paltimic, which is oh shit. Well, the Ptolemy no. is that how you pronounce the guy's name? Which that's an Earth centric oh, yeah, one. Sure. And then there is the um, Galilean, which has the sun appropriately in the middle. So uh-huh. yeah, armillary spheres. You can now sound smart when you're saying, "Look at that damn armillary sphere." <laughs> yeah, because you know you see them all the time. You're not gonna call it a clockwork sun like some unwashed savage. Uh, Angela W says, "Do you guys think there's more wildfire underneath King's Landing, or has all of it been used to blow up the Great Sept?" I think I there's was, more. I always imagined much more. I always imagined that whenever Eris was had sitting underneath the city was enough to take out all of King's Landing, or at least more than the Sept. Not to say that I don't think enough people died in the finale, but I was wondering if you guys thought the hidden cache of wildfire would have been way more devastating. No, I still think it's there, and I still think it's going to be used at some point um, to take out the the throne room proper. Right. I mean, we see in Danny's visions her her walking through the burnt throne room. It's either snow or ash. And it's either like dragons ash. or wildfire. I mean, right. those are really the only two forces that could do it. I, You're right. I suppose if you want to say winter is coming, the White Walkers might be able to do it through some Get magic. As far south, yeah. Yeah, but I, I really think it's going to be wildfire. Uh, Courtney B. said, After watching the season six finale, I started to wonder if Cold Hands, Benjen Stark, could be working for the White Walkers and evil now that he is dead. Mm. I'm assuming that he knows that Bran is marked by the Night's King and Ooh, knows that... that's an assumption. That means the Night King can get past magical defenses to get Bran. When he reminds us that the Wall has magical qualities to protect from the Whites and yet still urges Bran to go over, it seems that he could be persuading him to go across so the Night King could fall and break down the Wall. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I just think the one piece I'm not sure of in that is whether or not he knows about the mark. It would make sense because the Blood Raven called to him, mm-hmm. and that would be a piece of information you'd think the Blood Raven would get, would give him. Okay, the like, brand is marked. The brand's marked. This is why this huh. is happening. This is why I'm calling you. This is why I'm pulling the alarm. So the Three-Eyed Raven didn't know that Benjen was evil when he sent that information to him? Uh, you know, I don't know. Or he was playing Benjen. It's uh, just this whole uh, Snape thing. You're not sure where his lo- loyalties are. Okay. Uh, hmm. I know you've never I'm a little... read nor watched Harry Potter. But, no. Yeah. Got a double, triple, quadruple agent situation. I'm a little dubious on on that theory, though I don't think it's impossible. There was a little bit odd of a hitch in his performance where he kind of got the thousand-yard stare when he says, I'll do what I can for the forces of the living that... Mm. Like he was straight you know, up lying. Yeah, like, yeah. Who's he really fighting for? Hmm. And from his perspective, maybe the White Walkers are the living. <laughs> like, that's the true life. That he's now flows within him. I don't know. I don't, I don't believe it either, but it is intriguing. The Bastard of Burlington writes in and said, You, especially Aaron, read the reactions between Sansa and Littlefinger to the King of the North scenario much differently than I did. I think it's worth pointing out that Littlefinger was a ward of House Tully in his youth, and after professing his love for Catelyn Tully and trying to kiss her many, many times, he was stopped by her and almost laughed off, much the same way Santa treated him when he told her of her, his plans. Then when Littlefinger put it all on the line and challenged Brandon Stark, Catelyn's initial betrothed, to a feud for Catelyn's hand in hopes of having what he wanted, uh, these hopes were dashed by a Stark, much in the same way that what he wants now, the Iron Throne, is being dashed by... Kind of a Stark and John Starkarian. Uh, even if he does sit the Iron Throne, he just watched a significant portion of his potential kingdom declare for the Bastard King. Mm-hmm. This is a little finger reliving his worst memories from his past, and I don't think it will make him a nicer person. I think the look Sansa was giving Littlefinger were more in the vein of, I thought you said the North would never rally around the Bastard a couple scenes ago, hmm. essentially rubbing it in. 
And I think the look on Littlefinger's face was saying, what the fuck is happening? I think as much as I love seeing it, I think Sansa and Jon have just made a very powerful and ruthless enemy and expect bad things to happen because of this. This is not a bad take. Right. I I do agree with the outcome, certainly. This could be Littlefinger essentially reliving his childhood trauma. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, historically, I guess it does make sense. Uh, And we're definitely on the same page about Littlefinger not being on board with the Starks. He's still out for himself. Yes. We're on board with your being on board. Yeah. Uh, Zach B said, Melisandre is heading south. Arya is probably heading north. Could they finally meet again, as Mel said they would back in season two? I think this is a fair bet and will create an interesting scenario where Mel has just Mm. left, or since Mel has just left John's side. I mean, obviously they'll meet because you don't put something like that in a show and then pay it off. But what royal child could she burn to make that happen? (laughs) Also, I don't know that Arya's heading north. I think Arya's heading south, too. Because why... She's probably heading for Cersei, yeah? And Jaime at the same time. I'm assuming she knows Bolton's already dead. Unless she's trying to track down Melisandre so they'll just cross in it. Because Melisandre is a name on her list. Right. There's a lot of names in King's Landing, though. Yeah. Although not as many as there there just were. Right. Right, but Cersei and the Mountain yeah. are still Cersei, on there. Yeah, the I mean, mm-hmm. so you know, if you want to get two for one, yeah, I say King's Landing is the next logical place, and uh, maybe Melisandre will head that way too. Who knows? Yeah, she's just going south. I mean, somewhere. What is her? I mean, I would think that she would want to link up and try to do what she can. Yeah, to um, you know, that, that, I guess that's one of the other frustrating things for me is why isn't John leading with the we've got army of the dead bearing down on us? Like that was really. I mean, he, he's he very he's to these it subtly. Yeah, like these yeah. wars to come, but that's the, I mean, they will lead with that. Like, you got to find out right. right now if the lords of the north are going to believe you, because if they don't, you're fucked. Yeah. If they do, then you got something, and it's kind of frustrating that they're and if they don't, around with that. you're going to need time to convince them. So, yeah. like, the sooner you get that out there, the better. Sure. And he is really just dancing around it. He really, it's, it's, frust- it's the one kind of frustration I, I had in multiple viewings. Yeah. Ao said after the most recent episode, I started thinking John and Sansa might be perfect for each other. I'm reading this uh, just because I get this shit on. I get this on a weekly basis. Ooh, okay. I mean, There's I sh- guess I'm cool with Jamie and Cersei. So let's go for this. Are you cool with it, or you just accept it for what it is? I guess I accept it. I mean, I'm whatever. It's fantasy world. I don't give a shit. Uh, and you know, Snow and uh, Stark there are just cousins, so. Yeah. Get it on. Do whatever you got to do. <laughs> if they married, she gives him more credibility as a Stark to help rally houses in the North while he helps her defend and keep her home. Mm-hmm. Uh, since John is now officially a Targaryen now, they are cousins making their marriage perfectly acceptable by their cultural standards. And Zanz and John barely can- interacted as children since they never even sp- spoke on the show before the season, making their potential marriage a less icky thing for show watchers. He says as he swallows his vomit. Uh, I should. I also could never picture Danny with John, although I know a lot of people are shipping them. He always seems too dour for her. But his seriousness is, matches the new Sansa, and maybe his staunch conscience can keep Sansa's ruthlessness we saw in the Ramsay scene from going total Stoneheart. It feels like the only relationship left, though, to happen. Like, if she's talking about getting over here and forming alliances with marriage, like, the only alliance left to form at this point is the North. And I just don't see it because I don't. I think your speculation that they did not speak and talk a lot as children is just that speculation. I feel like that just because in the one party we saw uh-huh. where he was playing his role as bastard and sitting in the back of the hall, mm. 
I don't think that that meant that they never ate meals together and then never, like, John never pulled her pigtails and all yeah. the things. Like, look up the Westmark effect, which is this this principle where when children are raised together from infancy, that they have a natural aver- – it's why you don't find your sister attractive or you right. don't find your brother attractive. Yeah. It's, it's an evolutionary selection towards not inbreeding, essentially. Yeah. Because the people the that were gene pool, the, yeah. the gene pool that was attracted to brothers and sisters bred themselves into unviability. Yeah. So we've got this kind of thing, and and you'd have to, and that that works regardless of whether it's genetic or not. Because mm-hmm. the other interesting thing about that is, if you take identical twins, you separate them, and you put them back together later in life, they typically find themselves sexually attracted. Because the other huh. overriding biological thing is, you find people that are similar to you attractive. Okay. So. Hmm. Uh, I think that you'd still have John to be like, even though it's like he wouldn't be like, oh, she's my cousin. Time the fuck. It'd be like, oh, God, I still think of her as my little sister. Right. You yeah. know, that's that's what I'd think. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, his residual. I will say since this is the Internet and I've gotten tunnels of people in my mailbox, you're not alone. You're not you're not the first to ship Sansa and John. I still a little squicked out about it. Mm-hmm. I think that's how John and Sansa would feel. But write your fanfic however you want. No one's judging. Except for the seven gods, the mother, the father, and the maiden. Stranger even's got his face in his hands. Yep. Uh, Jordy in from England says, if Maggie DeFrog- mm. Maggie DeFrog's prophecy where she tells young Cersei that she will become queen but will be replaced by someone younger and more beautiful, uh, at, the, at the time we perceive that, that to mean that she will be Robert's queen and the younger, more beautiful replacement will be Marjorie. But as yep. events now stand, will that mean that she will be the queen? Uh, and who will the replacement be? Danny? Sansa? I mean, Could I think be. that is the yeah. possibilities right there. Sure. It seems Danny. Yara. Yeah, sure. Is she? No, yeah, yeah Yara's definitely younger. Can't be Melisandre. She's definitely not younger. <laughs> right, right. And also the, like, I mean, that's a subjective thing, but you got to throw in the more beautiful, younger and more Right, I wouldn't really it. qualify Yara as that, but, no. you know. Paint me an asshole, but I don't think sure. she's that attractive. <laughs> no, I mean uh, Brienne, same. She's there. attractive in a different, like, uh, like, like if you're um, if you're looking for the um, very strong woman, they'll challenge you. Right, depends on what you're on looking a physical for. Physical and, and mental level, aesthetically. Okay, I'm, I'm going to qualify her as not as attractive, and that's you know everyone's taste, and you know absolutely. I don't want to qualify this too much. I don't think Yara is hot. <laughs> Come on, it's personal opinion. <laughs> Um, I think she's beautiful. All right. Good for you. On the inside and out, Jim. Fair enough. So you just don't like lesbians is what it is. Yeah, that must be it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Danny and Sansa seem like they're the prime suspect and I don't know who else. Because, yeah, but, I mean, but it's a good point to say that that may not be a prophecy that's already passed. Yeah. It may be the future. Because everyone was like all on the Marjorie thing as soon as we saw that episode. Sure. I remember, that like, makes a lot of sense. Of, yeah. So... Who knows? Who knows how the wheel will turn before it's broken? Jeff in. We only have two more oh, left, I think. Let's break this feedback wheel. We, <laughs> you mentioned the instant ca- uh, cast that you didn't think Cersei anticipated Tommen becoming suicidal, but the calm and almost unemotional. Oh, this is some dry pie. I'm sorry. Yeah, I talked about I, I don't think it's possible. Uh, his second point, how firm of a grip does Cersei have on the throne? Is her claim legitimate? Um, I'm a bit rusty on the rules of succession to apply here. Unless this is just a fuck the rules type situation. Yes, that's I exactly mean, what it was. Her, let's say this. Her claim to this throne is as strong as Elena's claim to her house. Sure. Yeah? Yeah. 
I mean, they're both former queens who now have no thing, succession. Like, in my understanding, that the queen, the queen who the the queen consort of the king can never, under any circumstance, become queen herself. Which both of them have been, yes, yes. So, yeah, I don't know. Let's ask the same question about Elena. It doesn't seem to be right. asked, I guess, at this point. Uh, wait, wait. Lady Elena was never a queen consort. She was never the wife of the king, unless you know something I don't know. Mace was never well, not no. the king, but the leader of her house. Yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. Right. I mean, the she's lord. Still, yeah. Now, like again, she could be queen regent, but now that she's got like, I feel like the the that whole line is gone. And you know, there's... I was under the impression that lordship worked basically the same as mm-hmm. the kingship. The other thing is that like, there's probably an argument to me that maybe Jamie through some kind of long lost Baratheon Lannister blood alliance, but I, I right. just that stuff. I'm telling you, people move on that yeah. it, we and, and that's you can start talking about that when there's peace in the kingdoms again mm-hmm. but right now it is up for grabs as cersei just demonstrated uh kate t says queen elizabeth one of england is the guys you were think or is the queen that you were thinking of during the instant cast she never married was known as the virgin queen all of her advisors pressured her for an entire reign to get married but she knew that if she married one country's prince that she would alienate the others she became very adept at flirting with all of her suitors and stringing them along just far enough that if they they had to keep the peace with England. Hmm. I'm hoping that Danny might pull from Elizabeth's playbook and make heavy suggestions about marriage alliances without actually promising herself to anyone. She's definitely smart enough to realize that getting married would throw a lot of her hard-earned power right out the window. I could totally be entertained by a whole season of Danny stringing the dudes mm-hmm. of Westeros on. I wouldn't even be mad. Which dudes of Westeros? That's true. A like, lot of them are dead. There's Jam- like two. Jamie John, right? Right. So I guess you... Littlefinger? I suppose, yeah. He's Lord Sweet of the Robin. Vale at this point. There's Deer Catch. Robin. Ugh. Yara? I mean, she's not the dude, of right. it, but she's definitely an eligible bachelorette who yeah. has expressed interest. Yeah, I, I wonder how much she's going to like come Euron. over. And... We've all forgot. Everyone's forgot about Euron. It's true. Uh, Dario's gonna seat. deal with Euron. Didn't get, ooh, that would be actually pretty sweet. He's gonna have to, because Euron's on his way. Um, Aaron in Chicago says, Was it just me, or was Cersei dressed like the Night King, even down to the little wispy bit of a crown? Hmm. I wonder if it's a foreshadowing, something that will come into play later on, especially consider she has just depleted Westeros of the one thing that may have been successful in defeating the White Walkers, Wildfire. Also, in the Karma's a Bitch department... Jamie loses his last surviving son in the same way that he intended to kill Ned Starks. Yeah. I think boys falling out of windows marked the highest peak and lowest valley of Jamie's allegiance to Cersei. His devotion to her was its at its strongest in season one, proven by his willingness to push Bran Stark out of a window for her. With Tommen's fall from a window, I feel it's now hit an all-time low. Yeah. Excellent point there, that. Erin. Uh, that was pretty sweet. Indeed. Uh, because I do feel like uh, that's, that's, that's a nice, nice piece of uh, symmetry there. That is, at long last, the feedback. Except for it's not. We've got a whole piss pot full of wildfire to unleash upon Friday's podcast, and then yet more uh, on uh, the following week. We'll have our season wrap-up, and then, week after that, guess what? We warp back to the beginning. We've got to go back. Back to season one. We've got to backfill our coverage. Pull a brand, and we look in on season one again. Yeah, we're going to be doing a rewatch of season one. We've also got a lot of other... Shows that are going to be coming up or are currently Mr. on the Robot air. Mr. Robot coming. Mr. Robot, July 13th, it starts back up. Uh, we're going to be covering that. 
uh, you're covering Orange is the New Black right, right now. Right now. I'll be finished with that probably in the next week or two. Okay. And uh, later in August sometime, about a little over a month from now, I think uh, Halt and Catch Fire is coming back. Me and Eric of Personal Arrogance are going to be covering that. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff, you know, even if you're you're not in it for the rewatch, maybe you're watching some other shows along with us. Yeah. Check those out. And I think there's a couple others that I'm interested in that we might hit on our Bald Move TV podcast. Okay. Um, you know, that uh, the night of looks pretty pretty tasty. It does. Yeah, they've been previewing that. Also, uh, Westworld. They're starting right, to give we don't a, know when. They're giving a date of October. Yeah. Which, they, did they give an exact date? No, or was it just still just teasing? Okay. But that's, you know, the, the, we're, we're, our traditional October thing is... Uh, Walking Dead. Walking Dead. So there'll be some, some dueling it out on Sunday nights for that, probably. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, lots, lots of, and of course we've also got bald movies where we do first run. I, I can't remember what all we got coming up. I know Ghostbusters is one of them. Suicide mm-hmm. Squad is another, and then we'll be hitting into Oscar season before long. So, uh, lots of stuff to follow us along, uh, hit up uh, baldmove.com or you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter. We always post what we're doing there. If you want to keep tabs on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we'll be back Friday for more game of Thrones at baldmove.com forums.baldmove.com. If you'd like to discuss it with fans or get us feedback, and we'll see you on Friday. See you then. Bye-bye.